Welcome to episode 16 wow, of Chin Music. It's a podcast that's presented by Fangrass in glorious DeKalb, Illinois. My name is Kevin Goldstein, the revolving co-host chair in the Midwest. The Midwest show, folks. And joining me is a, a national writer for The Athletic. He covers the Cincinnati Reds and other things. Uh, he has been covering the Reds for various other outlets for a long time. Uh, he is also... Uh, my friend. He's also my friend on Nintendo Online, mm-hmm. and uh, a really good dude. And there's not a lot of them left. It's joining us from his luxurious accommodations in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's C. Trent Rosecrans. C. Trent, how are you? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I am also a loyal listener. So there, there's that. I was just saying good things about you. Um, <laughs> I never said I had good judgment. That was not in there. Does everyone call you C Trent or do people just call you Trent? Trent. I call you C Trent. Can I be yeah. that guy? You can be that guy. There are those guys out there. Uh, there are people who, yeah, I've been called a lot of things. So. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> what, I mean, can, can I ask what the C stands for? Uh, cheetah. No. Um, uh, Charles. Okay. Charles. It's a weird family thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it goes back like five generations i think every we all have the same the firstborn male all has the first name charles different middle names and then alternate every time uh by you going by their middle name so my father is chuck charles chuck and his father was charles wayne he was wayne and his father was charles and there you go did they all go with like the c c no i think i'm the first one to do that um i like it well, honestly, what it was, was when I went to college, I started doing it and like, I got a bank account. And so to, it was basically a placeholder that I'm always Trent, but a, everything official was Charles. And if my mom mm-hmm. sent me a check, it was Trent. And so it was like, here's the placeholder for, right. for knowing that it's official. And then when I started writing, this is really stupid, but it's all about aesthetics with Trent and then Rosecrans is so long, it it was unbalanced. And the C, the extra capital letter, helped bring balance to the byline. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you that was stupid, but you could kind of see it. Like it, it's because otherwise it was you know too too heavy on on the last name on the surname, and it it kind of balanced the scales of the byline, which. Only makes sense in my mind. I have this weird thing about symmetry. <laughs> do, you, do you like symmetry OCD? I don't have OCD because I'm I'm too lazy and um, unorganized. Yeah. But like if I draw, like, you know, like when I doodle anything, everything's symmetric. And it's just like balanced in. And I like to kind of do the mirror images and all that. So <laughs> 
it, 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 it's, it doesn't overtake my life at all. And um, my mess, my desk right now is just a mess that I'm sitting at. Mine but, always is. But, you know, like in, in a perfect world, everything is symmetrical. <laughs> Words to live by. Uh, we're going to talk about baseball. We do some kind of heavy stuff to talk about this week. Um, but we're going to talk about out uh mlb's cracked on the sticky stuff uh i do want to kind of get into it uh for those who don't know mr mr rosecrans is the pr- current president of the bbwaa did i say all those letters right i think um, so and, i always uh, stumble too and i kind of want to talk to him and get his insight on it wasn't really a baseball story but it's it's a sports story and i think it's interesting to talk about how, how this applies to baseball with what happened at the at the French Open, um, mm-hmm. and and what it means to, to to have access to athletes, and and what do athletes owe you? Um, our special guest, happy to really excited about this. It's going to be uh, Disha Thosar, who's the Mets beat writer for the New York Daily News. Uh, we're talking about what's going on with the Mets uh, on a baseball level, and also this week's uh, incident on the broadcast with Bob Brenly uh, saying something real dumb. Um, and then we'll get into our musical guest, Spit Boy. Very excited to play Spit Boy. Kind of a, a, a legendary punk band who finally has a, a release that kind of captures everything that they recorded, which was kind of sporadic and, and, and in piecemeal. And now you get all in one place and uh, real trailblazer there. Uh, get into your emails, moment of culture, all that kind of stuff. And then we will be out of here. Uh, I want to talk. I'll start by talking about to you about... Um, so... Uh, we saw what happened last week with Hatgate, with with Giovanni Gallegos. Um, four minor leaguers got hit this this week, and there was a story by uh, Bullet Bob Nightingale, as Ryan Divish calls him, uh, talking about how MLB is now intending to crack down on uh, the sticky stuff. Um, we we haven't seen it yet, and and I don't know how they're going to do it. That's the part that that kind of. I don't know, like you know, it's always it's, it, the devil's always in the details. Yeah, absolutely, there. devil's always in the details. Like we're gonna crack down this. Like, okay, how are you gonna do that? Are you gonna you know take seventeen hats every day? Because th- that's gonna be a real nightmare for the for the clubbies. And you know, I I was actually running some errands yesterday afternoon, and because I live in Illinois, I had the Cubs game on, and the color guy who I think was Ron Coomer, um, had a actually good suggestion, which was like, you know what, just take one glove from each team every day, like at random. To avoid the constant, because otherwise you're going to get, like, every time someone comes in, they got to take their hat. Like, I don't know how you're going to do this. Or, um, or, you know, you come out and they have a new hat every day. Right. And and I guess, and that works, like, if you want to keep the stuff off the hat. But, like, the, my you question. You have the belt, you have the glove. You have, you have the belt, you have the glove, you have other, you have the socks. And, um, I mean, this has been, you know, for lack of a better word, decriminalized for so long. Mm-hmm. Um if you want to criminalize it and you want to say this is part of the reason that baseball has lost something aesthetically in, in terms of the lack of contact and the lack of action, um, is there a way to do it right without turning the game into this weird kind of baseball game slash people's court episode? Yeah, that's that's the great question because like nobody wants that, what we saw on the field. And, and that doesn't make the game better. Um, Unless, of course, everybody, you know, the managers, would, it, it, it would have been so much more interesting and such a better story, and I, I would have actually enjoyed following it, had Tony LaRussa asked for it. Yes, it would have added, added to the shit show level. Right. It was just, it would have been then blown it up. But 
no manager is going to ask for it because they all know their guy is using just as much. I mean, because there, I, I can't believe there's any team that's that's pure, quote unquote, in all of this. Not even close. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a pitcher, you know, that's that's pure. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, I people have asked me this question. I think it's somewhere like low side, two thirds, high side, three fourths. Yeah. Are, popping well, something under their fingers and i think most of them will be like oh i don't like this because it's too ta- too tacky and i don't like the effect i don't think it's anything more I, I i can't imagine it being morality um i just go under the assumption that everyone's doing it mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of how i felt about steroids quite honestly i just assumed everybody was doing it and so it's you know it's like well you know and they're always saying when whenever you get the cliche about oh it was raining well the other team's playing in the rain too Um, the other team is doing it too so so my follow-up is like should they be doing something about it because it does it does feel like something that if you stop you could actually maybe do something about what's going on with the lack of contact right and and i it's such a great question i think that's the big part of it is like if if everybody was happy with the gameplay, it wouldn't be an issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, but we're seeing all these other things and trying new rules. And it's always funny about, well, what are the rules that are under, are already on the books, that it's not making new rules but enforcing the rules that we have that can help this? Because you right. don't have to collectively bargain a rule that's already on the book. It's how you enforce it. Uh, you know, it, the, the best thing I can come up with, and again, this is probably why nobody's asking me but you, um, <laughs> is like if you had a standardized thing. You know, if you if you had just like the sunscreen rosin mix and you yeah. put it out in the open and you just had the jar on the mound or whatever. I don't know how they do it. Um, but But if you just had that standardized maybe but then of course there's all sorts of other questions and somebody's always going to get around the rules i mean right someone's not going to someone's not going to like the sunscreen they're going to want something else and they're yeah and so yeah i'm I'm not smart enough to figure all this out have you you know have you talked to any players about this kind of thing funny you mentioned that um as we talk about everything else no because you know it's that's a conversation, and, and this is a big thing, and I think that people often misunderstand um, when we talk about the kind of um, how, how, how we do our job and what's important to us and the access. Mm-hmm. You know, a big part of this is not, like, these are questions that you need nuance for and that you need to be like, hey... Joe Bob. Hey, Joe Bob. I'm curious. I've got my pen away. I've got my recorder off. What's going on and how do you do this? And that's stuff that you can't do on Zoom. You just can't. Right, right. And it's the nuanced stuff that we lose with the lack of access. And it is... Nobody's going to give you an honest answer when it's being recorded on and streamed many places. Like... In live TV, like, hey, did you not have your sticky stuff today? You can't ask that on Zoom, and then the pitcher go, yeah, I usually use, you know, this Pelican grip, and we were low on it because Clubby X 
Clubby Dave didn't get it this time. Right. And, you know, and, and so that's the other part is like all these conversations are being recorded. So much of what you get when you're really building these relationships is that, hey, what's really going on? And, and the, the, the question I use all the time that I think is very helpful when I ask somebody is, or the phrase, I go, hey, can you help me understand? Mm-hmm. And I've found that that's a, like, not only saying that, but meaning that. And that's a lot, it's a lot easier to start off with that, with those words, if you're just kind of sliding up to somebody in the clubhouse recorder off than if you're on a Zoom call with 23 other people. Right. And they can tell you things that, you know, this again is kind of in the weeds, but like what's known as on background. Mm-hmm. Which the, they can say, well, here's what it is. Don't put my name to it. I'm not going to do it. But on background, and, and there you usually don't know that word. They'll usually say off the record. But background's kind of a better way to say. It's like, mm-hmm. it's background that this is what happens in here, here, and here. And you can, if you talk to enough people, you can then write that. Right. I'm talking to you. You're going to make me smarter about this. I'm not quoting you and saying I talked to you. Right. And I, I think that can be really misunderstood. Um, and I think it's really, really important to have that. And, you know, what, what, I've had this discussion with the Players Association. In this year, of any year, it's important we have that from the players. And right now you don't. And right now we don't. Are so you, we're going are you into the CBA. Zoom, are you still Zoom only? Um, we have the opportunity to... Um, and I am saying this at 11.22 a.m. on Thursday, January 3rd. And hopefully... And speaking only about the Cincinnati Reds. And, well, no, well, I can you, speak I, kind you know of... I, I, yeah. I, I, You're I, the I president of the Baseball Reds Association of America. Right, and that's what I did all Wednesday was talk about these things. So, um, with, you know, MLB and the MLBPA and all this. So, I, I'm kind of in the weeds of this probably. Well, no, I am in the weeds of this more than anybody else in the BBWA because of my position. So here's what all teams are allowed. They are not required to do this as of again, Thursday at 1122. And I say this, like I'm not even joking about that because as we record this, I'm getting some stuff that this could change in the next, well today. So hopefully this changes soon and, um, and we can talk about that like very soon. Um, but what teams are allowed, and this has been collectively bargained uh, between the MLB and MLBPA, all access is collectively bargained, mm-hmm. um, which anyone who's been in the game knows can, or really in anything that's collectively bargained, not just baseball, uh, can can could be an ordeal. Um, I, I can't. Uh, I say this having some friends that are lawyers. Nothing's easier with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Um, and I think we heard that on your last episode, um, except, you know, they have their value and we heard that on your last episode. However, um, so what we can do is we can set up through the league, the team PR and say, Hey, can I get a one-on-one or in-person access with X player? And so like, you know, I did it with Tucker Barnhart recently. 
I, I sent something to Rob Butcher and said, hey, can I get Tucker Barnhart? And he goes, okay, I'll ask Tucker. And if the player agrees, then we can set up like either during batting practice or probably before batting practice where I'm in the stands wearing a mask and at least six feet away, not in the stands, is Tucker Barnhart. Okay. And so that is possible. That requires more, you know, action from both Tucker, Rob, um, Rob Butcher, the Reds PR um, director, and me. Uh, or media relations. Uh, I don't know Rob's exact title, but you get the point. Um, what we are hoping in the next, in the foreseeable future, is what is next will be pregame batting practice access on the field. Okay. So that we can be on the field in BP, which, like in the before times, we're yeah, outside sure. most places. And I see Tucker Barnhart and I say, hey, Tuck, you got a second. When Tuck says, and Tucker says, oh, yeah, sure. Um, or he says, hey, after my round of BP. Right. And we talk. And it's normal. It's it's kind of like the clubhouse experience, but outside. Okay. Um, that is hopefully coming very, very, very soon. Um, which is going to mean a lot better coverage. It's a lot better stuff for readers. It's a lot better stuff for everybody. That these understandings that I can say... Hey, can you help me understand? And so that's hopefully coming soon, but but that is not where we are yet. Um, things would still be post game Zoom. Um, honestly, you know, if asked, and I think this is this was kind of mentioned in an oblique way and asked in an oblique way, not as a okay, well we're going to do this. If you ask ninety five percent of actual baseball beat reporters, not. Tom, Dick, and Harry that has um, the Zoom link or or mm. the t- local TV station. Right. People, well, go in, people go to the stadium every day. Yeah. People who go to the stadium every day. People who, like, the players know who you are and know your name. Um, those guys, if you gave us a choice between pregame access and postgame access, 99.9% are going to say pregame. And the other ones who don't... I, you know, I, I would, they're doing something different than I am, which is fine. But, um, I think that's where a lot of our questions about what is valuable and, oh, why do we have these things are yeah. from post game and post game can be, especially in baseball and it's different, in different sports. Um, but in baseball, because of the relationships you have with players, um, you get more knowledge, you get to know more in pregame than you do at any other time. And postgame is more like, postgame is more transactional. It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. hey, I have a deadline. You want to go home. Let's knock this out. Right, right, right. But pregame, well, we're all going to be here for a couple hours. Yeah, and, not longer. Um, yeah. Do you envision a time this season, in the 2021 regular season, where you will have access to a clubhouse? Yes. And you think, I, I, you think I, that'll I, happen this year? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, and I, I, I think I have reason to have hope. But um, if you had to throw, if you had to throw twenty bucks down, you'd say yes. I think we will. I'd throw ten bucks down. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a rich man. Low confidence. I don't have that. I don't have that uh, World Series share in my bank account. Yes, it's not sitting. Either do I. Um, <laughs> if 
I didn't get one of those. <laughs> yeah, I got a nice bonus that year, but no, we did not get a. I did not get a share. Um, oh yeah, that's right. It's only yeah, yeah. yeah it's all, I mean, only clubbies club. will. Clubbies will. Clubbies be... deserve the hell out of it. Absolutely, I have no clubbies are with like it. the key to baseball to me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I no, love clubbies. Yeah, no, front office people do not get a World Series share. Okay. We got but a, you probably have it in your contract. Got a, a ring. No, no, no. You don't get them. Oh. It's only game day people. I mean, but do you have like a bonus in your contract? Most teams, it's, it's, uh, let's, let's pile this. Uh, most teams actually don't have a bonus plan. The, the Astros did. I did get a bonus every year. Okay. Um, or most years um, and got a nice one that year for sure. <laughs> Because um, it was performance related, but nothing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but it was more. It's weird. It was more financial performance related, oh, um, yes. which obviously can be related to how the team performs. If there's sure. not a, if there's a, certainly an overlap of that Venn diagram. But I mean, it was nothing. I mean, it was. It was. It was a know, nice a, dinner. A, it was. A, it was a ninety. It was a tiny percentage of what a World Series share would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, we've gotten off track, which is what the contest does. Um. But like, do you? I guess the question is like, do you envision, I don't know how, I think I, I'm, I'm fine with them doing this because I actually think it would accomplish something, but I just don't know how they're going to do it in terms of enforcing the sticky stuff. Oh yeah. Sticky stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I'm in the same way. I'm like, like hypothetically, I think it makes sense. Realistically, how do you do it? Um, and I, I just don't know how, I don't know how you do it. Let's just talk about baseball for a second, actual baseball games and, and, teams winning and teams losing. And I was looking at the standings yesterday. Um, and it's just probably different today. And I don't send me an email recounting this, but on Wednesday when I counted, which was before the game started, um, 19 teams. So 19 out of 30 teams mm-hmm. were either in first place or within five games of first place. Um, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think like, you know, I think baseball needed this, but I think baseball is in terms of, of, winning and losing and who's in it incredibly compelling this year. Um, and yeah. I think it's really good. Like there's no, no one's running away with anything. And I think it's really, really good for the game. And I think it makes every day more interesting. Um, you know, you, you know, you, you read about major League baseball, you focus on the reds. The central has three or four good teams and most divisions have three or four teams that you go, they got some sort of, you can at least, you know, tilt your head and squint and go, there's something in this. Yeah. Um, there's not. Good, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think is, the Central has four okay teams. Yeah, and this is this is good for baseball. And I, I did a piece earlier this week about kind of how reach-out calls are starting and people are kind of starting to do their preparation for the trade deadline. Um, and most of my teams I still had on the bubble, and I only, you know, I had my smallest grouping was teams that are clear sellers right now. And I think it could make for a little bit of a strange deadline. And obviously things could change. We've got a lot of time left. But, um, you know, I'm parody is always kind of a thing you know leagues talk about not teams but leagues talk about we kind of have some parody this year but i think it's good yeah i think it's always good i mean when when you have is like i i saw some people this morning like i don't care about the reds it's june june 3rd and i'm already out that's not good and right you know like the more teams that say the more teams that have fans interested through the all-star break or you know because this is where we live um, in the United States to, to training camps of football, the better NFL training camps. I mean, like, to, that's what the, the league needs is they need more people to be interested. And how do you do that? It's through parity. And that helps, you know, it's a rising tide. 
And where is the Reds fan base at this point? I mean, obviously the team you're closest to. I see the Central as like the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers are all pretty good. The Reds are pretty good, but maybe one tick below those three. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and and so I think a lot of people are just kind of disappointed. Um, they they came out to a really strong start, like the first week or two, and you knew that wasn't really it. But you can also squint and say, well, if just Luis Castillo is Luis Castillo, they're they're you know they're okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's been an automatic L every five days, and that's shocking, right? Um, and then, but the other thing is, it's just like, you look at it and he's still throwing 98 and he's still doing enough to where like, it's not like it's gone. It's just not working. And then you say, well, you know, who, who, who is this an internal thing? And you look at the guy they have there and his results and and you're like, well, if, if, if anybody could figure this out, it's Derek Johnson. Right. Right. Um, and so there's enough, like. I think squinting, you can convince yourself that it's not terrible. But you also look back and, like, this was a team that, before the 2020 season, you know, quote-unquote, went for it. Right, right. And then, after the 2020 season, they non-tendered Archie Bradley, who's a guy that they, you know, they traded Stuart Fairchild, who... You know, could be a guy, and um, and Josh Van Meter, who's a big league bench bat. They traded those guys for Archie Bradley, thinking, "Hey, we'll have Archie in the back of our bullpen for the next yeah. two years with Rysel Iglesias." Well, they non-tender Archie Bradley and release or uh, trade. Basically, they trade they give give Rysel Iglesias away for his salary. Right. I mean that was that was a salary dump trade. I mean, and, and nobody even tried to pretend it was anything but. Um, and so then you're just like, oh, oh, remember back in the old days when they were trying. And and then the bullpen's just been awful, right? Um, do you? It, it's the bullpen has been awful, but like the Reds have, and you'd know better than I do. But it just seems from the outside, you know, when I watch the Reds, kind of have. And this is soft sign. They seem like they have a good vibe. They do. And I think a lot of that, you know, what's one of their bigger vibes. And again, like, like you said, this is kind of soft science, but to me it is, and it's hard to kind of explain or feel, especially not being in the clubhouse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very different. What, what gets me with them is it feels like, when Mike Moustakis is there, they're a different team. When he's, he's the guy. Hurt, yeah. And I'd see that's not what it felt like from the outside. Really, okay. I think he's kind of that glue guy. And um, because performance, I think, you know, Nick Castellanos is a guy who can carry a team. Yeah. But he's carried them right now to, you know, a 24 and 29 record. And, and I don't think you could ask more from Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker right now. Sure. Um, and Tyler Naquin. And Tyler Naquin. Um, and, you know, and, and and look at one of their weak spots last year was the catcher. And look at what Tyler Stevenson and, and Tucker Barnhart are doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had one that was very good defensively. And now you have two. Of course, one of them is playing first base a lot right now. 
Which is actually good because it keeps his bat in the lineup. Right. And Joey Votto's hurt. And Joey Votto's hurt. So <laughs> it's funny because last year their offense was terrible and their pitching carried them. And it's it's pretty much vice versa right now. Um, I, I, I kind of want to get into this because I think it's going to be a, a fairly longer conversation. But, you know, this week, um, the big sports story was uh, on, on the tennis court where the top player in women's tennis, Naomi Osaka, Osaka um, withdrew from the French Open, obviously a major event. Um, she skipped a, a, a mandatory media thing, got fined, wasn't going to do the next one and just withdrew. Uh, and it got it generated a lot of opinions on uh, a lot of sides and uh, you know some people were like good for her and and she's addressing her mental health and she shouldn't have to do this um and other people were like you know this is a contractually obligated which is a shitty argument by the way yeah and um and then also like the other one which is also a shitty argument of well they need us like we make these people um which which is fucking, <laughs> which is a shitty argument fucking garbage i hate that yeah. i hate that attitude me too the, the media does not make people um, no and, and and anybody who tells you that i mean that's that's just an ego thing yeah and so you know my thought on this has always been um that there are plenty of players who are happy and you know this better than i do there are plenty of players who are happy to talk to you happy mm-hmm. to and some even enjoy it yeah um and if there is a player or an athlete who doesn't want to deal with the media, they shouldn't be forced to. It's not like and you know, someone said, well, if one guy doesn't want to do it, then, or, or I guess in this case, one gal, if one person doesn't want to do it, then, then they're all going to say, I don't want to do it. That's just not true. No, um, it's not a monoculture. Because it is, it is, it's not a monoculture, but also, you know, you can say, well, it's good for the, it's good for the athlete to do this because it helps them with their, their, their PR and their status. And, and that might be true. And if that's, that's, it's up to the athlete to decide. Um, no, there are, you know, you are in, in the, in the business and, and you, your part of your job is dealing with athletes. Um, I know you've had certainly private conversations and I've seen this happen in, in, in situations where like, Hey, look, I just don't want to talk today. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, 90% of the time the guys, you know, the, the, the writer in this case will say, Oh, I understand. And, 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 and move on. But, um, are you okay if there was an athlete who, if there, if there were a player on the red just said, look, I really don't like dealing with the media. It creates anxiety for me. It makes me very uncomfortable. And I'm not dealing with the media for the rest of the year. Would you just move on or would you care? It, it, it depends. Um, you know, for the most part is, I've said this all the time. Um, I've had players say, hey, fuck off. And I go, fuck off. What, what good am I going to get anyway? Like, right. You know, you know, with a forced interview, what am I going to get good from that anyway? What? How is that going to make what I'm doing better? But it feels like if a player did that, like there would be a, there would be a segment of writers kind of forcing that player's hand. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'll just go with like my own, um, my own kind of uh, experience here. You know, when Matt Harvey was with the Reds, mm. he said, I'm only talking after starts. I said, all right. You know, and like, it wouldn't matter what you were talking about. I, was, I wanted to do this story because um, Sal Romano, who was with the Reds at the time, Sal said, you know, Matt's really helped me. And he's done all these really nice things for me. We're from the same area. And right. it's been huge. And I said, 
hey, Matt, and he goes, only after the things. I said, well, I'm doing this thing. Sal told me all these nice things, and I wanted to ask you about that. And he goes, I, I only talk after the meeting. I go, okay, cool. Yeah. You know? You're sticking to this. Yeah, whatever, man. You know, um, I there was a player that wouldn't talk to me. He says, I'm not talking to you. And I said, okay. Wasn't talking to you or wasn't talking to the media? Wasn't talking to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> we choked that, uh, well... Matt, was uh, was that player mad about something you wrote? Uh probably. Okay, but you don't know. You don't. It wasn't clear why. Yeah, I don't know that it was clear why. And you know, there was a point where I said, "I'm not talking to that guy." <laughs> so there was a point where I wouldn't talk to him. Uh. Uh-huh. I said, you know, he's like, "Well, I'm not talking to you." And I said, "Well, fuck you." There's 24 other guys in here. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. Um. You know, I guess my question, and I'm going to ask you just to put on your your president hat on here for a second. Okay. Sorry, yeah, the the was president it, doesn't say "fuck you," I don't need you. There no, I understand that. Other guys. But that's the, like, there's the, actually a great. Um, somebody told me this story. Is I, I I hope it was Phil. Like I think it might have been Phil Rogers. Um, like a player said said to him, and, and maybe it could be wrong, and I hope I don't uh, besmirch Phil. Uh, but you know, it's Phil. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, somebody once said to him, this was passed out to me, like, well, I'm not talking to you. I'm never talking to you again. And Phil said, good. 20, one down, 24 to go. <laughs> because, you know, there are other places where people don't talk. And mm-hmm. you know what? If you're not going to talk to somebody, it's a lot easier for the, look at Premier League soccer. Look at F1. If you're not going to have real access, it's a hell of a lot easier to rip a guy. Right. If you don't know that person as a human being, it's a hell of a lot easier to rip a guy. If you don't know that guy's, you know, I, there are some of these people that I've met and talked to their parents. I've had meals with their parents and yeah, their sure. wives. And if you don't know those people and they are just what you see on TV, on a screen, you get what you see in the NBA right now with people throwing stuff at them. They're dehumanization. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the only way to humanize a person is to have is the media to give it to you or to be in one-on-one situations with them, but it's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot easier if I tell you about, you know, somebody's struggles with anything else with, you know, whatever and not to go all you know sorrow porn or anything but like that you show that hey these are also humans you know and it's not just like the other night um i'm at the park and amir garrett's just stinking up the joint Mm -hmm. and there's a guy right below me in the stands just screaming you're a piece of shit right and it's like no i mean he's pitching like shit right but amir is not I know Amir's, you know, I've met Amir's wife. I've met Amir's dogs. Uh, Amir's a good dude. Yeah, sure. And, you know, he's a guy who does pit bull rescue. You know, he's a guy who does a lot of things. Who's And, and, you know, probably one of the reasons why this person was, was because of some of the things that Amir says about his stance and his Mm -hmm. life and how he's lived and his experiences. Um, And we can get into that if you want, but, I mean... (laughs) I don't think it's any any surprise that any of yeah. the other relievers he didn't call a piece of shit. Right. Um, so, but anyway, you know, 
that's easy to say that when you don't know that person. And instead of a the silo of being one drunk dude among 12,000 people at a ballpark and your voice being heard, well, I have a bigger platform. And people in my position, not me as, as much, but, you know, if, if Ken Rosenthal didn't have to worry about it, and, and Ken's the ultimate pro, and that's why I use this, he could blast that Amir Garrett's a piece of shit, right. <laughs> you know? He wouldn't do that because of who he is as a person, but also, like, you know, that megaphone. And I, I think it's important that we get to know these guys, and I think it's important that they know us as well, that we're not a monolith, you right. know? So and we're not a monoculture. So put on that president hat for a second. Okay, gonna, and sorry. I'm, and I'm going to make up a. Uh, I'm going to make up a, a player. There's a player. Um, he plays for the Colorado Rockies, and his name's Bob Jones, and he is their best player. He's a star. Um, and and he is a an all star and an MVP candidate. And their most popular player sells the most jerseys. He is the the straw that stirs the drinks for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, and he says uh, he shows up in Arizona on February 14th. And he says, I'm not talking to the media this year. You are the president of the BBWAA, which I, and I've always seen the, the main purpose of the BBWAA as one of access. Yeah. 100%. Um, I am not a member. I've never been a member. Um, and frankly, I don't, I don't think I should be a member because I don't go to enough games. Cause I think the purpose again is access. Um, I have access to the people I need to talk to for what I write. And so I don't consider myself eligible. Now he makes that choice. He said, and he, and he, and he, and he makes a compelling reason. It's, it's, it, it, he, he has issues with anxiety. He doesn't like, you know, we'll just kind of relate it back to the French open situation. He's issues with anxiety. He doesn't like dealing with the media. He says, I'm not going to do it this year. I want to focus on the game. Um, and then the, the contingent of beat writers for the Rockies, um, you know, smaller than, than maybe you have for the Mets or something, but the contingent of the beat writers comes to you and says, Hey, Mr. President, I assume they all call you that. Um, among other things. Yeah. They say, Hey, Mr. President, you are the president and this is about access and this is the Rockies best and most compelling player. And we need to have access to him. How, how do you respond here? Man, that's a really good question. I mean, first I go to the Rockies PR. Okay. Um, well, no, first I talk to the writers and just say, okay, what's the setup? Then I go to the Rockies PR and then I go to MLB PR. Okay. Well, let's, let's walk through this. So you go to the Rockies writers <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the Rockies writers say, look, he's simply saying, I'm not talking to any media for the entire year. Again, he is Bob Jones. He is an MVP candidate. He is the best player on the team and going to be a part of a lot of big moments during games. And we're going to have no access to him. Honestly, I mean, like... And then you go to the Rockies PR, and the Rockies PR go, yeah, look, I understand why you're not happy, but Bob doesn't want to talk to the media this year, and it does cause him some anxiety, and, and it's not good for his mental health, and he's not going to do it. I mean, Zach Grinke's done this, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, sure, but I'm asking you how you want... But yeah, Zach still yeah. does media, and, and, he's, and he's, right. kind of, he's kind of miserable and entertaining about it, but he's also miserable about it. He, he shouldn't be forced to do it, in my well, mind. I, I mean... And it in in my when you're talking to Trent, I don't think so either. When you're talking to the president of the BBWA, yeah, that's who I want to talk to right know, now. So now, talk. what do you what, so what do you want to do? That guy's an idiot. 
Uh, me, the president. <laughs> of the um, so the Rockies, so the Rockies writers say, look, he's not going to talk to us. And the Rockies PR people then follow that up with going, yeah, he doesn't want to talk to the media this year and we're not going to force anything. I mean, honestly, I don't know. This may be a terrible, like uh, there might be a lot of people, my constituents, is that the word? Uh, <laughs> who won't like this, but it's like, uh, then go to MLB and be like, hey, what can you do? None of this is, you know. It was mandatory. And so is that I, true? I go, I, not that I know of. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's no, anything. there's no rule I that asked, says a player have, has to deal with the media. We have a, um, uh, I'll, I'll put it here. Um, we have asked, and this is all different because it's COVID age. We haven't talked to Nick Senzel since the, um, last August and mm-hmm. we've requested and Nick has said, no, I don't want to do it. And, and maybe it's for very similar reasons. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He We put it into Rob Butcher. Rob says he asks, and Nick politely declines. Now, you know what? I, I've asked, and like, hey, is there anything? I don't think there is anything. And if, if that's for Nick's own personal well-being, I, I guess I get it. And I, I don't know. You just... You write the best story you can otherwise. And I, I just, again, this is Trent, not the, not yeah. the Presidente or El Jefe or whatever you want to call. Um, I don't know what you're going to get anyway. And we've seen that. Like, right. you know, are you going to get the Marshawn Lynch, I'm just not here to get fined? Which, fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go find a better story or I'm going to find a different way to do that story. Hell, one of the best books ever baseball biographies was jane levy's on um sandy koufax who didn't talk to her right right you know he was nice about it and you know sandy koufax is a guy um so so if if i I don't know that there's anything that we can do if the reds played the reds play the cardinals tonight um in st louis if dick senzel hit for the cycle and the home run was a grand slam in the top of the ninth that gave the Reds the lead. And then he said, oh, fine, I'll talk to the media about this. Would that be annoying to you? Or like it would how... be annoying, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah, but again, this is... I feel like everything in the last year has an asterisk. Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, there are days where you want to talk to somebody and they're, by the time you get into the clubhouse, that 10-minute cooling-off period, they're gone. Right. I mean, I've I've passed on the road mostly. I've passed while we're being let in. Joey Votto going out. He's already showered, dressed, and right, right. You know, whatever. And and that's Joe. I mean, and, and I don't mean to single out Joey as a guy. He's when he thinks he's going to be needed, he usually sticks around. Mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of has an internal clock um, kind of thing. Right. But the Reds win seven knows. to two. He goes one for four with a six, you know, a meaningless a single in the yeah, third. Yeah. He just, he can, he moves on. Right. Um, he's never a guy who ducks us. Yeah. Um, he's kind of the opposite. And you'll see this a lot with relievers mostly. Like you'll see guys who relievers, and this is maybe an old school thing and maybe it goes away after this year, but they're, they're relievers. Yeah. David Weathers was a guy who kind of taught this to every young reliever. Mm-hmm. I remember one day we were in Miami and Todd Coffee and he had Todd Coffee with him. And he would be like, no, listen, I'm going to sit at my locker and watch everybody. 
I will be at my locker facing outward because I blew it. I'm here to take it. And that code really, honestly, for what David would tell younger players Mm -hmm. is I'm doing it so you don't have to. Right. Because if I'm not there, they're going to ask you about me. They're going to go to the catcher and be like, well, what what, what, would David do? He's like, that's not fair to my teammates. Yeah. That's being a good teammate and that's being a good leader. And and David Weathers was one of those guys who was as good as anybody about that. Um, Mike Stanton, the, the previous Mike Stanton also like that in my, my younger days, my younger experiences. Um, those guys set the tone. Um, you know, Jared Hughes, um, the nicest human being on the planet, um, even outside inside or outside of baseball. Those guys are there every time. Amir Garrett, He's there. Mm-hmm. And they see that as accountability for not just themselves, but also their team. And sometimes they want to explain it. Do you and... feel the same way about a front office? No. I mean, it's funny. I was, who was I? Was It wasn't your eyes podcast. It was, it was um, Hang Up and Listen, the Slate podcast. Yeah. They were talking about this yesterday and somebody made the great point. Like, why do we demand accountability from the players when we don't from ownership or front offices. Now the front office, I could, I'm sure I could call Nick crawl right now and he'd answer or he'd be like, Hey, can you give me 10 minutes? Right. Um, and, and I've had that kind of relationship with, you know, every general manager that I've covered. Okay. That's, that's interesting though. Cause I mean, I know lots of man generals that don't, it doesn't probably Nick does that. I've, I've known Nick for a while and I think Nick's a really good dude. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, um, my, knew, my 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 ex boss didn't like dealing with the media. Yeah. Oh, and I understand it. You know, and I don't I don't know that um, Walt Jockety particularly enjoyed it. Right. Um. And I knew what times of day not to call him. Hmm. But he would always get back to me. You know, Dick Williams always. Um. Wayne Krivsky. Um. All those guys. Those guys have been great. But if I want to talk to Bob Castellini, that's tougher. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I guess my, at the end of the day, my, my general feeling about this is that athletes owe you their performance on the field and nothing more. Is that, yeah. is that fair? I, I mean, this will probably piss some people off to hear the president say it, but yeah, I, I honestly believe it. And I think, I think there are so many benefits to them opening up that it is in their best interest. Um, and can be if they, if they're good. About yeah, it. for sure. Um, it's in their best interest to do so, but I don't ever feel like anybody owes me. And I know there are people who do. And I know there are people who in, in my business who do feel that way. I, I honestly don't. I honestly don't. And I've had that where like, hell, I mean, I have the self, I can, uh, I can edit and I can say, I'm not talking to this guy. Hell, I've done it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not something I, sh- I, I I'm not proud of it. Because it's probably wasn't doing my job the best I could, but it's also knowing that he wasn't going to give me shit because he didn't like me and I didn't like him. Right. What's the purpose? What's like? Why go through this theater? Right. 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 Um. Hey, thank you for your candidness on that. Um. But we'll I mean, take a- we, I always forget. Like this, it, you know, you're my friend, and we always talk this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I just, it's, 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 I just want to talk to you about this. I think it's, an, I think it's an interesting subject because I, I, I was, I don't understand the mindset of, of, of these people owe me something. And I, I, I just, I, 
I just don't. I don't. And it, like, I, and 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 even further, when they, it's like they're, they're nothing without us, and they need us to to help the, to to promote the sport. I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's true. I, I I actually had a player tell me that he thinks, he now thinks, recently that we are more important, and he he was almost closer to that than I was. Right. Saying that, you know, I th- I think his thing was the, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm going to not say who it was because it wasn't mm-hmm. on the record conversation, but his thing was, is, um, you know, the story of baseball is told. You guys tell the story of baseball through all these years. He says, sure. who watches a goddamn baseball game <laughs> every day? And there are people who do. They're psychos like me. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's like, not the norm. But that's not the norm. And he's like, yeah, it's more interesting when, you know, guys are getting in fights in the clubhouse or he said, she said, that creates interest. And he says, that's part of the reason I've, you know, made some money is that there's the interest. Yeah. And I don't think it's directly that he talks to me, but it was actually further than I expected. And and I had another, I had another player. He didn't say this to me, but it was told another one of our writers. who said, I never thought I'd say this, but I want you guys back in the clubhouse. And then, yeah, I've heard that from a couple players actually. And then, like, I had, there was another player saying, hey, man, I uh, I want you guys back here so that I can wring your neck. And I said, you damn right. That's accountability. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier. And, like, this is going back to what I said. It's a, it, it, the, the player that I wasn't particularly, like, when he said, I'm not talking to you anymore, and we had blowups and um, all this. Well, one of the biggest blowups, I made sure I was there the next day. Like anything that way you can say to me, Hey, you're wrong. And I've had players say to me, you were wrong. This was wrong. Um, and I had a manager do it once. Great. It was great. And they said, you were wrong. This is why I listened and said, you're right. Mm. I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. And because I'm not always right. And again, it goes back to the, Help me understand. And maybe if I understand, maybe somebody else does too. Because of what I, you know, my platform and what I do. Right. Um, so uh, good. that was a good conversation. I appreciate you having that. Um, we'll take a break. We'll come back to Disha as our special guest who will help us understand the New York Mets. Uh, and <laughs> oh, we'll, good luck, Disha. <laughs> and then we'll... Uh, Come back, but uh, talk about our musical guest, go through some emails. Let's take a look.
Welcome back to the podcast. Special guest time. Our special guest has been the beat writer of the New York Mets for the New York Daily News for about two and a half years now. Uh, joining us from her luxurious accommodations in San Diego, where the Mets start a weekend series with the Padres. It is Disha Thosar. Disha, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, I want to talk about the team first. I mean, the, the, the Mets have... It's it's you've had a lot of work to do lately, um, so thanks for uh, rubbing it in. So, but let's start with the baseball side of things. You know, this team, um, you know, Francisco Lindor hasn't hit. Um, Dominic Smith kind of hasn't hit. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I believe they currently have 137 players on the disabled list. And yet, you look up at the standings, and they are in first place. Yep. Uh, what's going on? How's this happening? Yeah, we. I mean, no one really knows, honestly. Like, <laughs> I've I've written however many stories about this now, and I'm still a little confused about how this team is in first place. Um, barring off, of course, all the other injuries that are happening in the NL East right now. Um, those things obviously are out of the Mets' control. And what they have been able to control is just their injury situation. And definitely in, in the heated environment of New York City, I don't think Luis Rojas is getting enough credit for what he's done with this team who has unknown players, rookies, um, a mismatched lineup every day. The rotation is really just two to three guys. It really has been completely bizarre. So when you look back in the month of May, they had 17 wins. Um, and most of them came from guys who are not were not in their opening day starting lineup. And even DeGrom was out for a couple weeks in that month. So it's been crazy. It's It's been kind of surreal. And now June is kind of their, their June gloom month. So um, fans are kind of waiting to see what's going to happen again. I, I, Mets, I grew up a Mets fan. And Mets fans are a, a, a damaged group at times. I mean, are they... Uh, do they is there is there optimism or are they just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop oh yeah i would say definitely other shoe to drop it can be a, any number of things even if it's you know there there's still a few transactions that are waiting and like the topic that's been on Mets twitter today is like who's going to be the prospect that's going to the red Sox and like this player to be named later thing and it's <laughs> it's just like the, how can this be you know that they're kind of just still always looking for dread and in every corner and i get it i think a lot of it has been they've been given many reasons to do exactly that so um, we're back to kind of that month where the team has struggled. So I think that has been more of the topic going into this kind of last leg before the all-star break of how are they going to piece it together? And it is still, it's tricky. The, the Mets are still missing J.D. Davis. They're missing Brandon Nimmo. Um, we don't know what's happening with VR now. He left the game yesterday with hamstring tightness. So it's still, there are, there are many reasons to have worry, but the Mets kind of have shown us that they have been able to overcome it. I think the question is now, is any of that sustainable? And, and the pitching has been wonderful. Um, Marcus Stroman has been really good. Jake DeGrom's been historically good. They have the, the second best ERA in the National League right now. Um, but the big story early in the year was not the, was the fans, first the, the Lindor trade on the baseball side, the Lindor trade. You always have to say that with the Mets, the Lindor <laughs> trade, and then the Lindor extension. And obviously um, Lindor's struggles have been well-documented. Um, they're also, uh, they're also confusing in the sense that you, you can't really point at like, you know, his, you know, his, his approach has actually been really good. 
Um, swing decisions make sense. Um, it's just the numbers haven't been there. How much of, you know, how has Lindor been to deal with in, 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 during all of this? And, you know, how do the Mets feel about this? Like, do they feel like everything doesn't make sense and so he'll become Francisco Lindor again? Or is there any sort of real concern for what's going on? Yeah, well, well, to answer your first question, I think he, from at least, you know, reporter media perspective, has handled all of his press conferences really well. And now he's starting to sort of turn a page in his last nine games. He's had a ton of hits. Um, but even before that, it's he's always cracking jokes. He's kind of making light of the situation, which I'm surprised of the way it's played in New York, because usually if you're struggling that bad and making jokes is kind of like, what the hell are you doing, man? You're laughing. There's been, you know, comments about his green hair. So I think on the outside, he's been trying to be super positive and it's worked to an extent. But like you said, what we've seen on the field has not matched up with that. And anytime you ask anyone in the organization, are they worried about Lindor? What's going on with him? What is this early season start? Of course, the the usual the line company lines are he's going to be fine. It's it's a bad start, but he'll be okay. Luis Rojas expects him to do something crazy every time he steps to the plate, um, which is kind of upsetting because it means he's been let down more more often than not. So I think what we're starting to see now is maybe him coming out of everything that he had suffered this first couple months, like the the home crowd booing him um, is insane for any player, but a lot of Mets in in the history of their franchise have gone through it and overcome it. Um, So I think we're, we're just kind of seeing that repetitive pattern in the history of this franchise of players adjusting to the fan base, the city, the market, all of that. I mean, even Edwin Diaz went through it a couple of years ago, and, and now he's turning a corner. Uh, before you came on, uh, Trent and I had a, a, a long conversation kind of about media and media access in, in wake of what happened at the French Open this week. Um, are there any, any players who, and you don't have to name names, but are there any players who don't deal with the media? Uh yeah, there are definitely a few players that not only don't deal with the media, but when they do speak to us, it's contentious and um, it's just not a great time. And, and we kind of have a pocket as a Mets beat. There's definitely a pocket of players that you know um, won't support media returning to normal, going back in the clubhouse. Um, but to name one that has been supportive is definitely Lindor. Um, he, even his first press conference, I think he had a question that was like, how have you been adjusting so far? What's the transition like? And he's like, well, you know, it's still not normal because you guys aren't in here with me. Like I'm having to do this through zoom. So mm-hmm. I think he's, he's one of the, the advocates for it, but, but yeah, I would say there, there are definitely more than a handful of Mets players that like the way it's been so far, which is obviously not great. And, and like I said, you're in San Diego right now. Um, so you, you, you're traveling with the team. Um, are you still stuck on Zoom or do you have any sort of access face to face at this no, point? No, we're we're still stuck on Zoom. We've seen a, a few of the opposing teams um, in Atlanta. The the Braves are letting their reporters kind of do the the behind the net interviews. Right. Um, the Mets still have not allowed that, so everything's been over Zoom. But at least we've hopeful that that things will change maybe by the All Star break as as capacity increases and and things like that. But yeah, it's been it's been tough to keep doing it over video for sure. Hopefully much sooner, Disha. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hopefully much, much sooner. Coming from you, that that's super encouraging. <laughs> um, the, the Did big... you get my email? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Now, now that you say that, I'm I'm searching it and I see it. So okay. I'll have to read that. Yeah, I might have missed it when I flew well, from Phoenix. Like, yeah, some people don't have 
no, I got one like, can you add me to the email list? Right. So, I was like, just making sure. I, I sent I, one last night. I send lots of emails. I, didn't get, I did not get the email. <laughs> there you go. There's one person that's missing it. I'm not a card-carrying member. Um, so I, one of the big stories this week, um, kind of uh, kind of off the field, was uh, what happened during the Diamondbacks game on the television broadcast where uh, Bob Brenly was a moron. Um, and and made uh, a disparaging remark about uh, Marcus Stroman's fashion choices um, that clearly had some veiled racism in it, um, and uh, you know veiled? I appreciate at that best, um, and and I you know I, I really appreciate you know Stroman for being Stroman and a guy who really speaks out uh, as to what it goes, but I I've been also pleasantly surprised by kind of how backed and how really good the manager, Luis Rojas has been about this and, and, and can you talk, he, and he doesn't seem to be letting up either, which I think is even better. Can you talk about kind of, uh, kind of how things have gone? Um, not the incident itself, which I think everyone knows about, but since the incident where it, 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 I feel like they're kind of making sure this stays in the forefront, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, like you said, I think that comes off from Stroman's personality for sure to make it in the forefront. He's kind of been saying this from his corner for a while now. And, and when things like this happen, I think um, fans and even just baseball fans in general start to notice, oh yeah, he's been advocating for this sort of thing for years now. Um, But like you said, when it comes to Luis Rojas and the team, I personally was super surprised the stance that he took on it. I mean, when we asked him the first question of his press conference, yesterday was what did you think of Bob Burnley's comment and immediately he you know launched into a few minutes of talking about how he was super disappointed he expects better from broadcasters and they have such a platform over you know three plus hours of a game and that's what he's talking about and he kind of just kept reiterating that point like they they're granted this opportunity um and really like to like coded racism is is where we are in 2021 and and in so many words i mean that's exactly what rojas said and i think it it kind of flashed me back to last year during the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Dom Smith was kind of the advocate for the Mets during all of that. And he mm-hmm. broke down crying and, and that, that sort of that video went viral, but Rojas didn't really back him up then. And again, this was under the previous ownership. Um, who knows what kind of pressure he really was under the Wilpons, if he even felt comfortable kind of going out on a limb here. Um, but now, I, I mean, Steve Cohen has kind of made it pretty known, like say whatever the hell you want. It's fine. Say how you feel. So players have felt more confident kind of doing what they want. Luis Rojas has definitely been more comfortable with us. And I think that all compounds into what we saw yesterday and a super large support for his pitcher who clearly, this isn't, even Stroman said, this isn't the first time he's heard anything like that. He gets messages like that every day. Like, sure, now it's glad that people are catching on and waking up to it, but this is long overdue. And, And I think Rojas added another layer of that conversation by saying that, you know, broadcasters need to do way better uh obviously it's been another story with the Mets with Steve Cohen buying the team um and and being very public on Twitter and then getting rid of his Twitter account and I think he's back now he is, um, yeah. <laughs> but back in I, full force what has Cohen been like to deal with I've, I've dealt with my fair share of billionaires in my time and and my only universe thing is they're all very weird <laughs> um yeah that's the one universe thing I can tell you. I've never met a, a billionaire who's not really weird in some right, way. Right, right. Um, is Cohen, uh, A, it seems like he makes himself pretty publicly available. Is that correct? Uh, 
not not so much. I mean, he's definitely publicly available in that he has, you know, his Twitter account and fans tweeted him probably every day. And I think he made it was a funny kind of snarky remark the other day of like, oh, the Mets are doing well now and now there's no complaining. And of mm. course, the complaints came running in after that. So things like that, I think he has found his own kind of balance of like dad jokes and, and weird strange remarks here and there about the game itself just to engage with his own fan base. But with us, I mean, I, I met him one one day in spring training. Um, we kind of had a, a quick, like, two-minute conversation with a, a PR person overlooking the whole thing. So it wasn't very, you know, uh, there was no casualness or, or one-on-one-ness to it at all. But, um, I mean, I've appreciated that he's been kind of more in the public spotlight. But I do I th- I do think that when he first got the, the job in November, however long it's been now, um, I definitely thought he'd be more in the forefront, even if it's doing, you know, TV interviews, um, interviewing with his, you know, select whoever he wants a, a reporter and I mean, things like that. I thought he would just give more access in that way, and and he mm-hmm. hasn't to that point. So, um, yeah, that that's one of that's one of the things that surprised me. Do you think part of that has been driven by obviously the other big off the field story with the Mets, which was the the hiring and then termination of Jared Porter, um, as well as obviously the Mets being associated with Mickey Calloway. Um, yeah, and yeah. kind of how they've handled it. That that like if that hasn't happened, do you think that that he'd be more accessible? Because if he, if he becomes accessible, he has to start talking about that, and he probably doesn't want to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think also in his mind and his kind of game plan for things, that's he wants more time to pass before he goes in front of a camera frequently. And he's being super selective. He did. He only did one interview with um, an SNY paid broadcaster in spring training, which like aired on YouTube and, and was super gimmicky in the way that like he knew what questions were coming. So right. yeah, I think it was all kind of um, fairies and rainbows up until the Porter and Mickey incidents. And then he had to watch what he's doing. He had to be careful, not only what he's saying, but what he's doing off the field. And as far as I know, there's allegedly some some cultural investigation going on by an outside lawsuit into their, their actual employees that work there. Um, but again, like I think all of this settles until this settles down, he's, he's kind kind of going to just keep it to dad jokes um, on Twitter for now. And has, has that also applied to Sandy Alderson being less available since the, the Jared Porter stuff? Yeah, for sure. He's, I mean, Sandy, when he was GM, he liked to do the um, press conferences every homestand. And that's, we've gotten that back. But with Zach Scott, obviously, since he's the acting GM and and Sandy has way more shit on his plate by just by being team, team president. So that makes sense that Zach Scott is now the one doing it. But kind of when, when fans think of, you know, the Mets and who's making these moves, it's still Sandy. It's like, oh, they, the Mets only added two relief pitchers this offseason. That's Sandy move, you know, so it, in reality, Zach is doing a lot more of that sort of transactional work, but for sure, Sandy has been completely kind of out of the picture when it term, when it comes to media, and that also doesn't help that we're not on the field. I think it would be a different story if pregame, he's walking by, watching batting practice, you know, we can catch up with him. I think those are the, the Sandy moments that he enjoys one-on-one with media. He's not really going to go in front of the camera on a Zoom most days, um, so maybe that will also increase uh, with our access increasing. And is, you know, with the Porter situation, has, has it just kind of become, I mean, how do you feel like they've done this post? I mean, they felt like they did the right thing by immediately terminating him. Mm-hmm. But since then, it's just been kind of radio silence. And like you said, there is this outside investigation happening. Um, 
I mean, have they handled it well since the immediate response? Um, yeah, I, th I think my answer to that is is pretty nuanced, just coming from what I've witnessed already, um, being a woman in this media environment. Um, him, the, the Mets terminating Porter immediately was super encouraging, and it looked like, okay, even Cohen made some sort of statement on Twitter about how he's not going to accept any of this. Right. Um, and then it kind of started piling up on them. There was Mickey, Ryan Ellis. There's still rumblings about, you know, that culture existing on just a, not so much at a higher level, but, but just in an comfortable atmosphere sort of way. So I think their biggest mistake since their very good step of firing Porter within a night is that they're not keeping the public informed about what exactly they're doing now to make things better, um, which obviously leads me to believe, well, they're not doing anything to make things better. And they're kind of just doing these transactional things that look good on paper. Oh, let's hire an outside law firm and and they'll look into it and, and see, assess what the culture is. But then, you know, I, I even asked about it. I think it's been a month now over what exactly are they doing? And I was, it was off the record, you know, it wasn't something that I can go write a story about. Um, so my pushback to that was, why? I mean, wouldn't you want, this is an encouraging thing that, that I think the public would love to hear, that you're taking actionable steps um, to improve the environment. And it was like, yeah, no, but we, you know, we need to keep the, those, those crap answers of keeping the integrity of the, the investigation and the situation. And it's just like, that's, you're not doing anything then, you know, that's going to be the perception. So I think they've handled it well to begin with. And ever since then, it's been mostly in the dark. So um, that's not helpful in, in this situation. Do you think any of that's a PR strategy just to kind of see if they can time this out? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the the PR staff has not exactly turned over um, the since since the Wilpons left. So I think the people that are even even Brohas to some extent, I think the people that are still here that were also involved in the organization while the Wilpons were there have kind of this reluctance to give information, even if now it's okay to do it and they're being told by their bosses it's okay like be a little more transparent um i think this is this might be ingrained who knows i mean that's something that i haven't like really talked about with people who who have been kind of holdovers um but i think it's going to take time definitely for this this public shift to happen and that some of the the problems and the mess ups are still happening on the pr side and i think i think that's why on that on the yeah. I don't know, kind of evolution. What have you seen from Rojas? Because he's a guy that's kind of, it, it's fascinating to me that it, you don't hear much about him, or at least I don't. Right. But yet he's a guy who comes from baseball royalty. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's almost so much that just maybe if he were, his last name were Alu instead of Rojas, yeah. maybe yeah. there might be more. But is that kind of, I don't know, he seems pretty low key. Is that kind of all play into what who he is and what the job he's done and, and and really what have you seen from Rojas over and him develop over this time sorry yeah, I asked yeah, a lot of questions <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I think it's kind of all of those things really yeah I wonder if I've wondered in the beginning kind of how it would play if his last name was Alou and it just it, I don't know if it's so much as that now as it is he's when it comes down to it a pretty boring guy he just is not you know he's like even when he cracks a joke with us it's like he has to tell us that's a joke guys and it's like oh was it like we couldn't like you know it's it, most of the days he's just super the same guy that you see every day kind of on any press conference it's the same thing we get from him on the on the exciting games and the disappointing games he's just always very low-key very constant even keeled um and that's why kind of yesterday when he went out of his way to 
defend Stroman, it, it stood out because he doesn't do things like that even on, on the big sweeping games. It's more just like, yeah, this was a big win for us, but we got to keep going forward. All, all the quotes are very, very mundane, and, and it's worked for this team, surprisingly, because I think there are the, – the team is starting to get – more personalities, especially with Lindor, but they already did have Stroman, Pete Alonso, um, DeGrom, who doesn't have like an outward personality in that way, but he's obviously one of the team's captains, if not the team captain. So I think in that way, they, they needed some manager who can just kind of calm the the waters and, and just ride the ship out and just be this the same force of energy every day. And even people in the organization this year who, who are sort of new to Louis have said he's, he's such a like kind, gentle soul. And, and, you know, like they love that about him. So I think this is working in not only his favor in terms of keeping a low profile, because I think for him, at least it's by design. Um, I don't think he gives, you know, players that, that same personality, they, they must see some sort of, uh, some other fire from him because that's what we've heard from, from players who have, he's, he's coached a lot of these guys since the minor leagues and managed them and he's been around them. So, um, right. they, they've grown up to kind of to love him in that way, but I think to, to get the compliments that he's received, there has to be something that, you know, he's he's not showing us. So the the low-key aspect of it, I think, is by design, but it's it's worked out so far in his favor. Um, you know, obviously the Mets are, like we said, in first place right now. Um, I would consider them buyers heading into July. A a a healthy version of this team kind of has a set lineup. Mm-hmm. Um and, and a mostly set rotation, even though the, the back end of that has been inconsistent or at times just plain bad. Um, I mean, is this, do you expect them to, to have a busy July and, and, and would you expect it to be for like rotation depth and maybe a center fielder? Yes, I think you nailed it, um, especially because Syndergaard had a setback, and if he returns at best, it would be August. But like knowing how this organization is, is tending now to re- toward being cautious with Tommy John surgery, I think they're going to maybe, you know, depending on where the team is at, rush him in September. Um, and Carrasco is still completely MIA. He's not even throwing off the mound yet. Um, so it seems like he's also months away, enough to the Yale star break where they're they're kind of still going to, and David Peterson hasn't been great. So they're still kind of going to have this outlook of DeGrom, Stroman, and Taiwan Walker are, are their only three reliable pitchers. So I think they, they need to upgrade now in all seriousness, but it kind of makes sense that like their bullpen has been good enough that they, they can potentially skate by but the all-star you know the the at least trade deadline is is a a while away so i wouldn't be surprised if they kind of made an upgrade even before then but um i think they can focus definitely on a center fielder too with nimmo being out and conforto indefinitely being out with the hamstring strain um and jeff mcneil was also one of their their helpful pieces in the outfield so both of those guys all three of those guys are out indefinitely so i think those are definitely the upgrades you nailed it I always wonder though, like what center fielders are out there? Uh, yeah, it's that's true. not like like, yeah, like you know true. like center field and shortstop. They're like in catcher. They're they're positions that yeah everybody needs better an yep. upgraded center field. Yeah, exactly. It's not one of those moves that like comes around at the trade deadline where you're you're like oh yeah here's an obvious center fielder. I think it'll just have to come from even someone like the the Diamondbacks is that we were just in Phoenix and. 
Um, it just, yeah. if, if there's, you know, a team that is really falling apart, I think Diamondbacks have like 19 wins so far that mm-hmm. they might be more willing to deal someone like that. But it, it, I think the, the thing that's exciting me most is the potential for these Max Scherzer sweepstakes, um, yeah. especially if the Nationals remain in the basement of the NL East. I think that might be the most exciting thing of this summer. So uh, several teams would be in on him, obviously. So that would be exciting. Is, is there a chance we've, Seen our last of Noah Syndergaard in a Mets uniform? Uh, I don't know if the last, but I think the last good days, yeah. I think even if he comes back now, it'll be, you know, whatever you can you can do after being a year and a half removed from Tommy John surgery and still kind of holding back. Who knows how even the setback has affected him and his strength mentally in that way if he just won't throw as hard because he came out firing. He was like hitting 98, 99 in like his first rehab start, which was concerning at the time. And now we know why, like his elbow right. got sore again. So I think I think the last good days of Syndergaard in a Mets uniform are potentially behind him. I, I don't know if it comes between Stroman, if he continues to have a good year this season, there's talks of, you know, a contract extension for him. Um, would they rather kind of gamble on, on him over Syndergaard? Um, I can see that happening just because of all the all the injury-prone seasons that now Syndergaard has had to this point. Um, so I think he still makes maybe an appearance or two in September, and maybe he'll, you know, if the Mets go to the playoffs, he, he can do something there. Um, but I think this is now fans are starting to realize, like, the good days of Syndergaard are behind. So, you know, what, what do you see for the Mets for the rest of the year, both kind of on a baseball level, field and, and, and kind of off the field. It feels like there's always some sort of soap opera there. And, and maybe some of that's just a function of the New York beat. You have 8 million writers. Um, <laughs> and then there's a yeah. lot to, there's a lot to talk about, but um, I mean, the, the national use is, is kind of fascinating in its own way. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like they're going to be in it the whole time. I mean, they're the New York Mets. They have money. Right. Um, they have an, a, a new owner who's very happy to let you know he has money. Um, do you are you just assuming aggressiveness over the next couple of months in the market? Yeah, I am, and I and I think the the things that they've done so far to fix these whole these very big holes that they've had because of injuries have been super minimal. Um, so that's already leading me to believe, well, where where's the big one going to be then? And obviously, I still think early June is too early to even kind of circle guys. But like I said, like, I think if Scherzer is going, if the, if the nationals continue to suck and Scherzer is going to be in this big sweepstakes, I think the Mets are going to be at the top of that list for something like that. So I think Cohen even saying that he has been super obvious about how much money is he has super obvious about the, the millions he's added to the payroll, I think is only going to lead up to, you know, some sort of expectation when that chatter gets even stronger. And I think he's already, already shown to kind of fall to those expectations in that he not only Mm -hmm. signed Lindor, which at the time was like, he he picked him up from Cleveland, but it was like, okay, yeah, this is huge for the Mets franchise, but now are you going to keep him? And then it was like, wait, you're paying $341 million for Lindor? What? Before he's even played a season for you? That's strange. Like, you can at least go through the season with him, and then there's a huge shortstop class coming, so it's like, I think for the Mets, it would have worked out for them better if if they had just waited to see how he would play in New York, but... Mm. Cohen knew, you know, what the chatter would be in New York, and that's he he would look bad for the deal. Lindor would get booed all season, thinking he's going to leave, and I think he wanted 
to quiet all of that, and that's that's why that that move that that was driven. That signing was driven by all of those kind of external factors. So I think what we've seen Cohen so far means that not only will he kind of want to be aggressive, but he's been so far succumbing to that outside um, pressure of from the fans, from the media, and he wants to you know kind of remain that that good guy. So I think if it's loud enough and and fans want a player as much, then he might you know just go for it for them in that way. Leticia, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about the amazing world of the New York Mets. <laughs> Anytime. You know, I, I spend an unhealthy amount of time around this team, so might as well put it to good use. <laughs> if you want to read Disha's stuff, it's at the New York Daily News. If you want to follow Disha on Twitter, she is at Disha Thosar, which is D-E-E-S-H-A-T-H-O-S-A-R. You got anything else you need to plug? <laughs> or no, even want to plug? Good. I think I'm good on this one. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on, Disha. Yep, of course. Anytime.
Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to Disha for talking to us about the New York Mets. Our musical guest that you're listening to in short bursts because they have short songs is Spitboy. Uh, Spitboy is one of those bands. Um, they they existed in the early 90s in a small window uh, in the Bay Area from 1990 to 1995. Um, they were an all-female punk band. Uh, and one of those bands where uh, maybe didn't sell a million records and maybe not even that many people saw them, but but one of those bands that more influential in their in their post career than maybe they were in their original career. Very important band. Um, really blazed trails for for feminist musicians in the Bay Area and beyond. Uh, they did. They were a touring punk band. Played uh, the United States, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan. Uh, they were on a, a lot of recording labels, including Allied and um, Lookout Records, kind of the Bay Area, the biggest Bay Area punk label, um, and stood solitarily against what at the time was almost an entirely male-dominated subculture of punk and hardcore. Um, great live band, and you know, the, our, our friends at Don Giovanni Records, who we play a lot of their stuff, uh, has put together all of their things they you know they released a lot of singles it was a single here a single there they'd be part of a seven inch split here and there and they kind of gathered everything into a single thing called body of work 1990 to 1995 again the band's called spit boy uh and this will be released on don giovanni records on june 25th and you can get all of their stuff in one spot for the first time it's it's, it's an important thing it's also very important to note that 100 percent of the proceeds from this release will be given to the national women's law center um, so thanks to Spitboy and thanks to John Giovanni Records, and you should buy this. It is a, it's kind of a, it's an important historical record in the in the punk and hardcore scene, especially in the Bay Area. So thanks to Spitboy, um, and you know, more loud music on the podcast is always a good thing. You ready for emails, Trent? Oh, couldn't be more ready. <laughs> So as, as always, uh, we ask you that you email us. Uh, we did get a few listener of the week things, but uh, email us with questions. We like answering your questions. We like reading them. Chinmusic at fangraphs.com. This is always the time when uh, I tell you if you are listening to us on some sort of Apple device to rate and review us. It helps us, and I can't explain why because it's never been properly explained to me. Our first email comes from Trent. It's not you, is it? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, who knows? We've had we've had uh, emails from people on substances lately, and maybe uh, it was you. But Trent says, Kevin, love listening to the show. Yeah, I it definitely wasn't me. <laughs> I grew up. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Houston. I was an avid Astros fan growing up, in particular from 2011 to 2013. Ah, the dark years. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if you had any involvement in the acquisition of Yafet Amador and what the whole thinking behind it was. Trent, you came to the right person. I had a lot. Other to Trent. Do. Yes, I had a lot to do with the acquisition of Yafet Amador, and and uh, not something I was necessarily happy about, but it was very much a whatever moment. So, um, in 2013, uh, it's important to note first of all, um, and let's it, it's it's always tough to talk about some stuff because this is all. Anytime I bring up any sort of name with the Astros, it's going to immediately be attached to the scandal and stuff like that. Remember, 2013, none of that was happening yet. And so, you know, I'm going to say names that might upset you, but this is just how it was. So, so Jeff Luno is, is from Mexico. He was born in Mexico. Um, he was raised much of his life in Mexico and, and it was, was very interested in, in getting Mexican players into the Astros system, uh, partially because of his pride, but also because it would, you know, they, a Mexican star would be good to the fan base in Houston. There's a, a very large Mexican population. 
So there is a very hot player um, who was performing exceptionally well in the Mexican league named Leo Harris. And Leo played for the Mexico City Red Devils, along with your friend Yafid Amador, who we'll talk about in a second. And I got sent to Mexico City um, to go see Leo uh, and, and went to Mexico City, had a phenomenal time, stayed at a, a bed and breakfast, um, hung out with Craig Robinson. Uh, you, know, you might know him as Flip Flop Flying on, on Twitter and Instagram. Guy does amazing graphics. He, he lived there at the time. We hung out. We went to the ball games. Um, and I saw Leo and I had some, some, I had no interest in Yafid Amador, who actually was kind of the MVP of the league and, and frequently, uh, their home run champion. Yafet was, uh, six, five, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 310 pounds, give or take 40 and looked like a beer league softball player. And if he got a hold of one, it sure went a long way. He was, it was, it was 70, 80 raw power. Um, and he was this big fat dude who could only play dh really um and he ate a lot and and he was a lot of fun um but he wasn't a good baseball player and, and i'd really never interested in him but he was like the west well-known mexican player in the mexican league um and again once some mb details always in the home run derby leo i had more interest in i thought leo leo was like a was their leadoff man like this little 510 spark plug uh gap power decent approach could run a little bit and it was very hard to, to scout in Mexico City. So Mexico City is, uh, in terms of, of altitude, 50% higher than than Colorado. Wow. Um, and they had a small ballpark. They have a new different ballpark at the time. And uh, if you got the ball in the air, it was gone. And it was, I mean, it was PlayStation baseball. It was an absolute... It was something else. Like, I mean, I, the over-under on, on runs any any time you saw him. I, I, I spent four days watching that team. Uh, I, I, I would bet the average game had, had 18, 18 runs scored in it um, and, and four or five home runs. And and the ball just flew, and it was it was really hard to judge. Um, and, and Aris was a guy who, scored, who hit 20, 30 a year. Yafit would hit 40 or 50. I put, like, 45 power on Leo. thought he might be a fourth outfielder um, and suggested that we try to sign him and um and we did um but jeff also jeff luno also wanted amador because he thought it'd be fun um and they weren't big investments and so we signed amador too i i you know i recommended not signing amador we signed amador i get it why and so amador eris didn't really work out um he started his career at double a and he just kind of you know part of it was you know maybe missing on the talent but also part of it was just it was interesting psychological study in the sense that you know he was a big star in mexico and all of a sudden he was stuck at corpus christi and making corpus christi money um he did get a bonus but making corpus christi money and not being in the big leagues and not getting any attention i think it frustrated him uh amador was older went to triple a and, and hit some bobs also struck out a lot and didn't hit amador ultimately went to japan for a little bit at one point and um ended up getting uh, suspended and banned from the league because he tested positive for roids, which was shocking if you ever looked at his body. Um, if you think steroids make you more muscular, look at Yafet Amador. Um, and went back to Mexico, and I think he's played here and there. He got hurt a lot because he was never in good shape. Um, but yeah, Yafet was this amazingly gigantic dude who hit bombs, and it was fun to see, but I, I didn't necessarily want him. But Mexico League's a fun time. If you ever want to um, to pull a David Roth, who, who will be co-hosting the show again soon, uh, remember some guys go look at the box scores in the mexican league um it's filled with those dudes uh one of my favorite players of all time chris carter's down there right now hitting bombs 
Um, it's filled with guys, but it was a fun time to scout. And yes, I, I remember Yafit very much. And he's still like a very well-known guy down there in kind of a, a Prince Fielder kind of way. Um, it's just, you know, the difference in the game between there and here is, is so dramatic that it didn't work out. Speak, speaking of people Yafet's size, Jumbo Diaz, I believe, has been playing down there mm-hmm. the last couple of years. I, and speaking of players that I, I signed, I, we, we, the, the Astros acquired Jumbo at the end of one year when there yeah. was a real bullpen problem and then trying to figure out what to do. And, and uh, I, I did that deal and then what got a great you, Jumbo done. Jumbo's the best, isn't he? Oh, like, it was funny, you know, so I, I forget what year it was. He stole third base one year. <laughs> You're kidding me. I, I'm was, not aware yeah, of this. It was the last game of the AAA season. And he stole third base. And I think Quirky Miller might have been the catcher for the for for the um for the Reds AAA affiliate. Right. Um I forget who was on the mound, but like so he stole third base and he like almost Ricky Hendersoned it, you know, <laughs> like picking <laughs> up the bag the and all this. Yeah. Um but like, and and actually, I think Joey Votto was on a rehab assignment in that game too. So Joey was there as well. And um, then he came over to the Reds, and so I was doing something about it a couple of years later, and I was like, "Hey!" And these guys, like some of the guys, were like, they were pissed. They were. They said I was pissed at the time, like that this guy is, you know, last game of the season, yeah, blowout game, he's stealing freaking third base at three hundred and. You know, that was the year that that Jumbo had come in in the best shape of his life, and he had dropped like 65, 70 pounds. And he, he, was, was, he was down to 260. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, like, like Jumbo is a big man. Large. Uh, his name is not an accident. Um, It's not one of the ironic nicknames. And so, like, but then, like, everybody's like, yeah, and then I got to know Jumbo. And, like, in retrospect, yeah, it's just great. It's just Jumbo. And yeah. everybody, like he was that guy, he was older when he made the big leagues, when he broke in with the Reds. Oh yeah. And around the league, you would talk to people and everybody was so happy for him. It was unbelievable. So yeah, we were, you know, the Astros, I shouldn't say we anymore, but the Astros were getting ready to sign. You know, they just needed some bullpen arms at AAA, needed some depth. It was a, it was a problem. There's injuries. And um, Jumbo was available and I was dealing with his agent and stuff and um, and I recommended a sign and we did sign him ultimately. And, and I was asked like, did you do a makeup dig on him? And I said, I did. And I said, I was, I said, it's absolutely fucking glowing. Like, you know, like everyone screams how much they love this guy. It's unbelievable. Like even the guys who were pissed off about it, like Corky, who's Corky is one of the all time greats. Um, but like Corky was like, yeah, I got to know him and it is okay. Uh, cause, cause Corky can be a hard ass. I mean, he mm-hmm. can, he can. He's got uh, he's got that and Corky. This is just another aside. Corky has one of my all time favorite stories. We're sitting there and and um and Goodyear and you know like batting practice you go between and everybody's like yelling to sign autographs. Yeah. And somebody complains. Oh, they are asking to sign autographs. I'm not giving them an autograph. Corky deadpan because everything Corky does is deadpan. Just goes. Don't like it. Play worse. <laughs> <laughs> So don't like it, play worse is just an all-timer in my head because it's Corky Miller, man. Um, our next email comes from Dave. And Dave uh, has an interesting question here. He says, about a month ago, Fangraphs posted a job listing for the New York Mets as a scouting assistant. My question is about breaking into the business of baseball at an advanced age and or with no experience. After high school, I joined the Army. After four years in the Army, I joined the NYPD as a police officer 
Currently, I am a narcotics detective. Don't be a narc, Dave. With only four years until retirement. What a country. Five years ago, I went back to college in a five-year accounting degree. I'm two classes away from receiving my degree and to qualify to take the CPA exam. As you can tell, I have no idea what a 65-grade fastball looks like, but I have 80-grade want. The job posting had very few hardcore requirements, just a bachelor's degree. It would be a dream to work for any team in any capacity besides maybe a security guard. I'll be 39 years old when I retire. In your time with the Ashes, did you ever come across a 40-year-old intern scout? How improbable is it to get hired as assistant scouting position with my age and background? I'm fully aware that I'm out of my mind, but fuck it. I want to put myself in a position to do anything. Why not try to do something around that I love? Uh, Dave, well, first of all, again, don't be a narc. And secondly, like, it's 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 a tough question. Like, scouting assistant, I didn't look at that listing, so I'm not, maybe I'm, I'm out of my mind here. Um, you know, is at times kind of an organizational paperwork job. Um and you're making sure things are organized and coverage is organized and stuff. It's still baseball. It can be a good time. Um, but I, I haven't seen a lot of people do this. I don't think it means don't do try it. And it's a 0% thing. Um, I, I have come across 40 year old intern scouts and you know, you do, there used to be bird dogs and, and there are still a few teams who, who employ bird dogs. It's, it's way less than it used to be, but I have seen people who have, um, this is different from your background for sure. And uh, people who have been involved with baseball, be that, you know, they were high school coaches or they, you know, were smaller college coaches or they were, you know, in some of the hotbeds like Florida or, or Texas or California, or Arizona. And they were involved with, with, with travel ball or some of the, the, the more organized teams and things like that. Um, who eventually like became scouting assistants and started helping, you know, identify players for the, the area scout to see there and then, and then turned it into and got hired into a, like a full-time scouting position in their late thirties, or early forties after kind of busting their ass in baseball uh, for, for years and years. Um, I, that doesn't mean don't go for it. You know, I, when I, I was obviously writing about baseball, but you know, my first day with the Astros, I was in, in my forties. Um, so it's, it's, it's certainly something that can happen, but you, uh, you can't assume it's going to happen, but I don't see any reason not to try. Try whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, people have like the background is so much different now. I mean, you have yahoos who wrote places get yeah. hired yeah, and, and, and you know, it's not just former players anymore. Um, and hell somebody might love that you're an arc. They might. And, and then, you know, at the same time, there are people who, there are teams who, are just gonna, I don't know, just gonna look at the the degree from Brown or Princeton or oh yeah, place like that, and that's gonna that's really gonna drive them, and it's not fair and it's not right, but that, that does happen in this industry way too much. Yeah, um, because I've met some real real dumb people who have Ivy League degrees. Our next email comes from Sean. Sean says, I love the tidbits you have added related to process and even being kind of starstruck at times. Could you share your favorite and least favorite aspects of your last position? I always wonder about the process and what the day, week, or month was like. How are you filling your eight plus hours? Uh, Also, to piggyback busiest and slowest times, I imagine the trade deadline as well as the draft would be the busiest. But again, based on my question, that's just guessing. Um, Those are the busiest times as well as the GM and winter meetings. Um, would be the busiest times. I was very lucky, Sean, in that I, I had and, and was open about it and always told people I had the best job in, in, in the team. 
um, as a special assistant where I was involved with many, many things and in charge of nothing. And it's a great combination, but it was really my job to wake up and say, what's the best thing I can do for the Astros right now? Um, and so my schedule, if you will, um, was, uh, start in spring training. I went to spring training usually for a week or two to start. Um, and then I would get away from spring training and catch up on amateur stuff and run around and see amateur guys. I would finish spring training once minor league camp started and watch our prospects. Um, and then April and May was mostly spent running around the country seeing draft guys. Um, I was kind of a, a tiebreaker. So uh, Mike Elias, who was running our, our draft at the time, would tell me to go see this player because we have some scouts who have put 400000 on him and some scouts who have put $4 million on him. And so this is a guy we have a lot of differencing stuff. Can you go see him? And so every weekend I'd run, go see somebody or multiple players. Um, once the draft was over, I was very trade deadline focused. Um, and, and June and July was, was time to uh, identify and evaluate targets. Uh, after that, you were kind of getting ready for the off season. And once the deadline was over, I often used August to catch up on affiliate visits. I'd go see all of our minor league affiliates and watch players and talk to our player development people about those players. Uh, and then you're getting ready for the off season and the GM meetings and the winter meetings and things like that. And you hope to be done enough uh, to have some time to relax a little bit, maybe from February 1st to February 15th. And in the middle of, the, of all that stuff for a sporadic 12 months, our, our trips to the Dominican to do international stuff. So um, the thing I like best about the job is like, I, you know, you asked what, what was your day, week or month like? It's like, I didn't really know. And and, that, and that's something I really liked about the job is I don't know what my day or week or month is going to, is going to look like. Um, it changed all the time. It always moved around. Um, toward the end of my time with the Astros, I was involved um, with actual trade negotiations, um, sometimes just at the beginning, and then they'd, they'd get bumped up to, to a higher pay level, and sometimes all the way through. Um, the trade of, of, of Jake Marisnik to the Mets for Blake Taylor and, uh, and, and, and the prospect was a, a deal I did with Brody Van Wagenen from first call to yes, we'll do it. Um, and I did a lot of early free agent stuff and, and a lot of like reach outs to agents and, you know, communicator interest before it got bumped up. And every once in a while, I'd see one of those all the way through. Um, the last Martin Maldonado deal, um, I dealt with, with Dan Lozano, MVP sports from first call to, we have a deal that's got the contract written up. And so, um, certainly more than eight hours a day to fill. Um, it, but like, again, like the best time, the best thing about the gig was just that I didn't know what I was doing tomorrow. And I, I, I that's, I like working like that. That's, uh, that's why I like working in baseball. I always kind of, you know, I covered a football early in my career and besides my other issues with that sport, I always say like covering, covering football is one day of shit happening and six days of making shit up. Mm. Covering baseball is seven days of shit happening. Yeah. Um, I, when you did football, was it college or pro? I've I've done like as a beat, like the guy in college, but I have also been around some pro and helped out on pro. So I've, I have experience with both. So obviously I live in the Chicago area and, and the Bears are massive here. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like the Bears kind of the, 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 the routine is, is game on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um Monday's all breaking down the game. Yep. Tuesday's more complaining about things. And then on right, because there's no uh, media access on Monday. Probably. And, then, and then on Wednesday you start previewing next Sunday. Yeah. Um, and it's so like, it's like, it's, it's just, I, I, 
still do a lot of radio in Chicago, and it, it's I, I've already been bumped twice, and this is in the spring for Bears yeah. for Bears news. Yeah, it's like, I, hey, you know, and hey, it's the, not really the GM. News. The, yeah, the GM is doing a press conference thing, so we got to bump you. I'm like, oh, okay, <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, this goes back to the college thing. This tells you how long ago I did this, though. Um, the year that I covered Alabama, and I covered Alabama football for one year, was the year that Northern Illinois came to Bryant-Denny Stadium and beat Alabama. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Michael the Burner Turner. <laughs> I, I could, I could, this, I could, it's a, a three-minute walk to the stadium um, from from where I'm sitting right now. And, and they have a good, they're like a big, they're like a very good mid-major program. They have a, yeah. you know, yeah, they have a, a big facility. Um, but they yeah. won at Alabama. It they, was... they played a few years ago in a, um, and they made like a New Year's Day bowl. They were undefeated, mm-hmm. and and I think they were actually on the fringes of the top twenty-five, um, which is really rare as a MAC team, right? Um, and My I remember, wife and works it, at a MAC school, so and it, and it was like super exciting, and everyone was super excited. And it was it was the talk of the town, and they were playing. I, I I don't remember. It was either Florida or Florida State, and I don't watch football, but I actually what turned this game on? It was the talk of the town, and I used you know, playing in a in a January first big bowl game. It, they were in, it was like a real one. It's like the Cotton Bowl or the Holiday Bowl or whatever. It was a real bowl game, and if I remember right, they received the kickoff and. You know, and the teams, both the offense took the field and the defense took the field. And they started and they got into a huddle and they called a play and they started walking toward each other for the play. And I went, those guys are so much bigger than the NIU players. This uh-huh. is going to be this is going to be a disaster. And it was a disaster. Like They were just so out athlete. You know, forget about better base, better football players. Right. They were just so out out tooled, if you will. Oh, um, yeah. They were just screwed. Yeah. I uh, my first year. Up in Cincinnati, I was covering the University of Cincinnati football team, which time was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I had come from covering Alabama and before that, Georgia. And I swear to God, I wasn't being a smartass. And I think the SID was the first spring practice. I like looked around and go, well, where are the offensive linemen? And we were like standing next to them. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, they have oh. a nice stadium there. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really old Nipper I, Stadium. It's great. Yeah, I remember seeing it when I, I the last time I was at the University of Cincinnati. <clears> I yeah, went to, I, I went there to see uh, uh, Ian Hat play. Yeah, like, baseball be, stadiums right there. Yeah, it, it's all they have like a sports complex like most colleges, and um, yeah, I went to see Ian Hat, and I, I took I took the wife. She went to the zoo while I watched Ian Hat. It's a great zoo. Great zoo. She loved the zoo. She she, she still praises the zoo in Cincinnati. Uh, our next email comes from Mike. And Mike says, what kind of value do teams give towards the publicly available StatCast data, if at all? Are these actually used to make decisions? Are they worth looking at as a fan trying to understand the game? The example, DJ LeMayhew's barrel percentage declined significantly from 2019 to 2020. The drop was mirrored with a drop in sweet spot percentage and hard hit percentage, though this was back to career norms. And his solid year was seemingly propped up by an unsustainable strikeout rate and high BABIP. All of these trends have continued into 2021 with his barrel percentage falling to 1.8%. My gut feeling is this is a red flag and pretty terrible news for a 32-year-old. However, after 20 and 20, one of the smartest teams in baseball offered the 32-year-old a six-year contract and he supposedly had several offers. So what's going on here? Is this all a small sample still and these stats just matter less than I think they do? Is it likely for, for LeMahieu to bounce back, or did the Yankees just not look at this like they should have? It feels like there was ever a time to use these stats as predictive over standard stats. It was this moment. 
Uh, Mike, these the kind of statistics that you see in StatCast and others that you may not see and others that have been developed by teams internally, privately around StatCast data um, are incredibly important and, and play a massive role uh, in, in decision-making processes. They've, they've kind of changed how teams look at players. Um, I'm very excited, and I think it's great that this kind of stuff is public. Um, teams weigh them differently. Uh, and, and I do think all of those things you pointed out are things that teams pointed out about DJ LeMahieu. Um, and, and yes, he still got really good offers because he still had a really good track record. And also because I teams did not, and no team c- could, and understandably so, really know what to do with 2020. Um, it was such a weird year. It was a weird year for everybody. It was a weird year for the players, the fans, the media, everyone. It was such a weird year that you just looked at it and you said, I don't know how to... I don't know how to calculate this into what we're doing. And he's still DJ LeMahieu. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. But yeah, there were all sorts of signs this might be coming. And I'm not sure he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to, I still think he's going to be good. I just don't know if he's going to be great. But, um, you know, these kind of stats have become massively important. And, and, and don't, don't kid yourself. Like these are still a huge part of, of how baseball teams make their decisions. Um, and, and, and they play a big role. They're built into most, you know, most teams have, have found a way to build them into their projection systems and other models. Um, they really changed player evaluation as a whole. Um, they're one of the reasons teams have less scouts. Um, and, and as they, you know, lean more on video and, and the kind of data that can actually have value. Um, but yeah, this is, this is big stuff. And it, I'm glad you saw all these things and teams saw them too. But at the same time, I think the teams were betting on a track record. And I do think the Yankees felt some pressure to resign them as well. But where are the Reds in terms of analytics? I mean, obviously they they you know it was they hired a very public figure uh, in, in Kyle Body to do their pitching stuff, um, and he's obviously a very analytics guy. But I don't think they're necessarily seen as a as a very forward thinking team. But I think that might be a mischaracterization. I, I think it is. I mean, I think that was a big part of what they've done, and I think they kind of like being seen as a not forward looking team, so that people aren't expecting that. But you know. Um, they are, and, and, and Nick Crawl has always kind of been interested in it. Um, Dick Williams was big in it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there was a, it was the, there was the weird time where Walt Jockety was still in charge and, but Dick was like the heir apparent and like, you know, that they, they really kind of moved a lot of that. I mean, you see, I, I, I they've kind of jumped all in. And you see that stuff everywhere. And, um, you know, CJ Gilman is the minor league hitting coordinator. Who's a guy who's really into a lot of those things. Um, yeah, they, they started with the pitching and I think they've gone more in and, um, they're all in and they put a lot in the infrastructure, uh, the last couple of years. And that was a big part of Kyle coming aboard. Yeah. So, um, we, I don't know what dividends we've seen, but even last year, you know, when you kind of what you were talking about, you know, they kept talking about a lot of these things with Nick Castellanos when he wasn't performing saying, but all these outlying, all these other numbers and would give you a lot of the public ones and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. saying that he should come around and in a one sixty two, he'd come around and it's kind of doing about the same stuff this year. It's just the numbers are better. Right. Same player, better numbers. Same player. He hits the ball hard. Right. Which is usually a good thing. Always a good thing. Um, our final email comes from Bobby. Bobby has an interesting idea, C. Trent. Okay, good. My, may I ask why we can't treat every base like home plate? 
Instead of having a raised obstruction on the ground to slip off of, turn ankles on, break fingers sliding into, and be the subject of soul-sucking replay reviews, why not apply the home plate rules to first, second, and third? I'm sure there would be unintended consequences, but anything has to be better than the injuries and replays I see every day. It also could mean the end of the oven mitt running gloves. Um, I think this is an interesting idea. I don't see. I, I don't know why we need bags for necessarily. My 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 addition to this would be is the concept of a safe area, which yeah. would be take the base and imagine the base as a light, and that light projects up. Right. I think all of that area, like the base projected all the way up to the sky, should be a quote unquote safe area. I like that. To get rid of this concept of, of you know, the guy slides in. Because that's the worst part of replay. It's the worst part of replay. The guy slides in and his foot comes off the bag. He's still in the light, if you will. Just to project light. You don't have to do this physically, but in, in your mind, project light from the base all the way up to the sky. That's a safe area. Right. Because then if you overslide, you're there out. There you go. You know, yeah, you're right. You're, you're out of that's the a different you're out of, thing. Right. You're out of the safe. You're zone. no longer safe. Right. It goes back to that word safe. Right. But if you're, if you're it's you just know, expanding it upwards, you, you slide in and because of physics and human bodies, your, your leg goes, you know, two inches above the bag. You should still be safe. Is this something, you know, the Hawkeye could do? Um, that's a good question. My answer is I don't think so, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I just think of it like it's almost an extension of the um, the automated strike zone that we see, right? Mm-hmm. It's just putting it instead of horizontally, vertically. Right. And I, I think it would be good for the game, um, but I kind of interesting. Like I don't. I kind of like the no bag situation as well. That. I like the no bag thing as well because you do see turned ankles all the time. Right. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. Although, how would that affect base running? I mean, you just have to cross the safe zone. Yeah. I, I just meant like going from first to third. Just cross the safe zone. Just keep running. Yeah. I just, I always think of like, you know, you're supposed to use the bag to pivot though. Like yeah. I never run fast enough for that really to be an issue. And you also use the bag to if you slide into the bag, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you'd have to just slide. So well, it's, it's you, not perfect. It's a but... physical like manifestation of the safe zone it lets you know that you're in the safe zone and you almost need that texture as much as the 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 visual um so that you see it but i I think there i really think you're onto something i was thinking like you know and kind of like bobby's question is maybe you could treat not every plate everyone like home plate but like first base whereas you can treat third second and third as as you do first where you can run through it as long as you're not trying to advance hmm what if someone runs through it and then turns and starts going to third? Do you have to then retag it? But what, how are you going to define Couldn't the guy just say, I, was, I, just made a, I just made a wide turn? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Because you just, I mean, because obviously you, you know, see guys run through the bag at first and then, you know, it was, a, it was a shitty throw and he got by the first baseman and then they start heading to second, you know, even though they're starting 15 feet past first. I don't know. Yeah. No, I like your idea. And I, I, I wonder if there's a technological way to do this because you're already implementing the technology on the replay. Yeah. But I, we, I, it sounds like we both agree. That's, it's the worst replay in the world is the, you know, did his leg come off the bag by an inch because he slid. Like, and you even see, like, I, I think there's some managers who hate to do it, but they know they have to. Mm. And they're like, oh, fuck. You know, like, they feel bad. I remember when it first started. Oh, the telling yeah. me, like, 
like not just the umps, but the managers who yeah. benefited. Like like they felt guilty. You know, right. it's, it's like, not it's not in the it's like when a guy's yeah, it's like when two guys collide and you take extra bases. It just feels kind of mm-hmm. dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not uh, dirty as in unfair, but just like gross. Yeah, I don't want to do this. Um, that's it for the email. Send your emails. Chin music at fangraph.com. We read them all. We answer some of them. It's time to catch up with C Trent, who I'm going to continue to call C Trent for the rest of my life. Just fine. I I have a, this is a serious question because I don't know the answer. What are your responsibilities as the president of the Baseball Writers Association of America? That's a good question. Um, usually we have meetings and I sit there and look pretty. Um, you know, uh, the the coolest one, honestly, this is really like the biggest uh, like thing I knew about it. And uh, besides the meetings and just kind of being there. Um, but every year at the Hall of Fame induction – uh, you introduce the winner of what was once called the Spink Award. The media uh, thing. Yeah, the media thing. Yeah, the writing media thing, not the yeah, broadcast yeah, yeah. media thing. Uh, we changed that. Um, that was part of my legacy as well, so we changed the name of that because, well, you go back and look at Spink. And yeah, it was problematic. It was problematic. And, you know, so anywho. Um, and so basically you get to read that and you go to – the hall of fame inductions and all that. And like the year I was covering the hall of fame when, when King Griffey jr. Went in, um, Derek Gould was the president. So I hung out with Derek a little bit there and he brought his family and you stay at the Otisaga hotel with all the hall of famers. And it's, it's pretty cool. Um, that was, that was the night that I like, uh, sat there with George Brett while George Brett was drinking and telling stories. And I, it's a good time. A huge George Brett. And like, so the, the best part was, it was like George Brett and Robin Yount was his wingman. Basically. He was like the straight guy. Right. And so it was just sitting there, but in a bar between George Brett and Robin Yount and George is telling stories. And like Robin would just kind of like, he was kind of the, um, Ed McMahon. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> is there a hall of fame ceremony this year? Yes. Um, and it's, as of now, it's not open to the public. Oh, okay. But it's going to happen, but not, it's going to happen and I will be there. And like, as of now, like I can't even bring my wife. Oh, that's the word. And it kind of stinks. And so who are you, who's getting the, the, Uh, first of all, what's it called now? Oh shit. You had to put me on the, uh, it's like the meritorious, (laughs) uh, Career Achie- Career Achievement Award, I think the BBWA Career Achievement Award. And who's getting it this year? Um, Dick Cagle, and then um, I have to look up who got it. I'm going to feel bad because I don't know who Dick Cagle is. He covered the uh, Royals for a while, the Cardinals, mm-hmm. beat guy, um, grizzled, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, um, that that is a uh, badge of honor. Honestly, there is a. Um, Certain uh, whippersnappers at one point had a Grizz, um, like, 64 seating type uh, March Madness, like, you know, the whole bracket yeah, yeah, yeah. of Grizz, grizzled beat riders. <laughs> and at, at one time I got a one seed, and I, I dispute that. But I think the more <laughs> I dispute it, the more I solidify it, which is... <laughs> So, um, you could probably guess some of the people involved in this, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, uh, uh, but yeah, Dick Hegel. So, uh, you know, obviously what, one of the 
I'll just call it a benefit of being in the Baseball Association is if you do it for 10 years, uh, you get a Hall of Fame vote. Yeah. There has been a lot of discussion, and, and I, Hall of Fame voting is always a controversial subject. And it's something um, you, I love your stance on it, by the way. It is not my stance on it, um, but I love your stance on it. <laughs> the, 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 it's, it should be the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like Bo Jackson, like yeah, his Hall first Famer. balloter. Absolutely. Yeah. Dwight Gooden, Hall of Fame. Oh, well, um, yeah. So there's a lot of controversy over over Hall of Fame voting every year, obviously. Oh God, yeah, and it's. Become... I thought this was the one fucking place, Kevin, that I could go without <laughs> having Hall of Fame discussion. <laughs> well, I guess I want to, you know, and I, I hear and I feel like it's sometimes an excuse, which is just like, oh, that's up to the Hall of Fame. We just do the voting. Um, yes, which is true. Do Do you? First of all, there are there are writers who do not cast the votes. They feel it is, or or their or their organization that they work with feels it, it is a. Um, What's the term I'm looking for here? Uh, it's a conflict of interest. Thank you. A conflict of interest. Do you vote? I do vote. Okay. Um, um, will I vote this next year? I don't know. Do you uh, kind of? Do you think that the right people are voting? I don't know if the right people are voting, but I think the best people are voting. Okay. I do. I, I personally, I do have issues with the voting if people aren't covering baseball anymore. And and that has actually been addressed in the last couple of years. And how's that been addressed? Um. The last couple of, I got to look it up, um, but like every, say, October or something, we get a thing. And you have to have covered baseball full time, I think, in the last, in the previous five years. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it used to be like a Supreme Court. Yeah, it's um, forever. It was forever. It's not anymore. Okay. That has been changed. Good. And so I think that was, uh, I think there were a lot of people in our group that were felt like you did. And when you looked through kind of the calling the roles, um, there were people who just didn't belong anymore. And right. especially as, you know, it'd be a lot of people who would get cards and um, were either like editors or columnists and weren't even like real baseball writers. Right. And some people just flat out of the, you know, not even in the business anymore. Right. And um, so, yeah, so that has been addressed. I don't have all the particulars at my fingertips. That's fine. Um, that's fine. But but that has been addressed, and I think that is a valid one of many many valid concerns. Um, do you feel like it feels like baseball writers are? <laughs> There's a lot of ways that sentence could be completed. <laughs> <laughs> are are reticent. To criticize other baseball writers, um, I think do you see, so. Do you, do you see the BBWAA as a union? No, it is not a union. I actually had this discussion this morning. Um, I was talking with my counter counterpart at the um, at the Pro Football Writers Association. Their president, Lindsey Jones, who who I work with at the Athletic, and we we were having a discussion this morning about access and all these things. And that was a point she brought up. It's like, we're, we're not a union. <laughs> you know, it's not all for one, one for all. Um, you know, so so when we get back on the field um, for the what we were talking about earlier, the pregame batting practice, that's only going to be members who are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Good. And there are union, there are uh, BBWA members, association, not union, members who 
are not vaccinated and will not be vaccinated mm-hmm. and refuse to be vaccinated. And to them, I say, hey, I understand it's some it somehow they claim it's medical. Um, to them, I say, you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You know, um, I, I don't I want to be in the contact with. You know, I, I, I'm worried about my own safety and, and I'm, I am here for the good of the, the good. I, I view my role as being looking out for the most members, not every member. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, you did could the, get did the, did the vaccinated limitation come from you or Major League Baseball? Or it came it? from Major League Baseball and I had no pushback. Okay. To be quite honest. And yeah, quite, no, I think it's great. Quite up front. Uh, yeah. I just said, you know what? I would rather it that way, too. And I just said, okay, check. I mean, to any group of people, I always put it this way. Um, you know, people, again, will say a monolith and like, oh, baseball writers this, baseball writers that. I've been in those meetings. I mean, and, and really think about any large group you're in. Mm-hmm. This is the analogy I put in. Like it, when I worked in a newsroom or even a party, you know, of me and my friends. Think about a pizza order. Now, in my mind, there's only one right pizza order for a large group. You get cheese and you get pepperoni. Everybody's freaking happy. Um, but, like, if you try to get 100 people or 500 or however many we have to agree on what type of toppings they want on their free pizza, mm-hmm. it's going to be a free-for-all mess over so many people. That you're not going to satisfy everybody. I mean, for some reason, somebody's going to want mushrooms on their pizza. Right. And in the end, I'm going to get stuck with a piece of mushroom pizza that I'm picking off mushrooms because they're disgusting. Um, Now, this is all solved if you just order cheese and pepperoni. Nobody's unhappy with either, you know, (laughs) unless you're a vegan. And, well, you know, God bless Ian as the the, uh, happiest vegan I've ever met. Yeah, yeah, that's its own level of misery. But, yeah. Yeah, right. So the the I don't know. That's like three different tangents in one. Um, but basically, I I think it's impossible to speak for everyone. Yeah. And in our role, like you said, is not as a union. It's as an association. Because it does feel like if if a baseball writer does something bad, which happens sometimes, not often, uh-huh. but sometimes, like other baseball writers are are kind of reticent to criticize that wrong thing. I think that's probably true. And, um, but there are also times where they do something bad and, you know, we punish them mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, you can take away the card that's been done. Right. Um, what, what kind of thing can result in a card removal? I'm trying to remember some of the, um, more recent ones, you know, there was the one with Dan Levitard when he kind of farmed out his hall of fame vote. Right. Um, you know, if, I believe there is something somewhere. I'm trying to remember. I don't even want to throw out um, places because that would I could be wrong on all the things. No, I just but if you I abuse even... it, and there are like professional things that getting autographs. Yeah, getting autographs. I mean, you would you'd get your card revoked, and you right. should. Yes. Um, you know, you just yeah, we're here to be a professional organization. And just because you're a professional in the organization doesn't mean that you're always going to act professionally. And uh, there can be sanctions. And I have not had one of those. I believe 
I was on the board a couple of years ago when something popped up and, um, and there were some actions, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I really, am, I'm not dodging. I'm just kind of blanking. No, that's fine. So, but it, it's happened and it can happen and it should happen. Um, so I, you, you've worked as a newspaper beat guy and you're now, uh, with the athletic. Um, and I think the athletics has done a really good job in kind of redefining what it means to be a beat writer. And you're not really necessarily focused on the shitty game story that nobody needs anymore. Um, where do you see this going? I know it's a very vague question. It's a very vague question. It's a very tough one. Um, do you think we're in a better spot than we were five years ago? Hmm. I'm trying to think of 2016. I think getting rid of the game story has been a good thing. Like, I don't think anyone needs, uh, and like, and then in the fourth inning, Nick Senzel hit a double. I, I think a the running game two. story. Yes. Yeah. I think a running game story. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but a lot of that is a product of newspapers. Right. And so, you know, like right after I left the Cincinnati Enquirer, their print deadline is 6 p.m. I mean. That's a problem. That's a problem. And, you know, I had worked there. At, um, I had worked there at times when you had um, – you know, you, you would run and have like an 11 o'clock deadline. And so I would have to have the game story in. And that's just a product of what the game story was. And that would be in the newspaper. So I would write one story that was, we always call it at the gun, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the very last out, I hit send. Now, walk-offs are always a problem. Um, bad <laughs> bad uh, bullpens are a huge problem. Um, so that can always change. And you're like, just pounding out so you you have a story that you send to the desk in right before you go downstairs to go interview players and you have a write through which is usually like hey you've got 45 minutes after that last one mm-hmm. get me something that we can change on the fly so like they actually change the plate the newspaper plate um it's all digital now um but but during the print run so like the first ten thousand papers have just that running game story and then the next 30,000 or whatever the numbers were um, have something with the manager said and the right, hero, right, right. the guy who hit the home run said. And you just plop that in. And then I would sit and then write for the next hour and a half a whole new story where most of the times I would try to do the not the running play-by-play okay. running gamer. And that would go just online. So, but like... You do that 162 game times a year, it sucks. Plus, uh, you know, a thousand-word notebook before the game. And if you're on the West Coast, you write a feature story. That's your plugger. That's because you know you're not going to get the game in. Right. Um, so basically, there was a lot of churn. A lot of churn. And uh, one of the things we've been able to is given the freedom to... We're not the paper of record. I don't have to make sure that I have in print that uh, for today, I just got the email that Aristides Aquino is starting his um, rehab assignment in Louisville. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not in my notebook tomorrow. Right, right, right. I, any, anything I can tweet, I don't need to write a full story on. Mm -hmm. And so there's been, but 
if you're the Cincinnati Enquirer, you'd still need to do that. You know, Bobby right. Bobby Nightingale and, and and Charlie Goldsmith do a really great job at that. Mm. And um and or, or Mark Sheldon at MLB.com. Um, and maybe that they're changing as well. They seem to change a lot of ideas every once in a while. So, um, but I, I think there is a place for that. I really do. Yeah. Um, because nobody watches 162 games. Like the biggest Reds fan is going to miss one of those games or you should, or you right. have bigger problems. <laughs> um, it's time for a moment of culture, Trent. Cool. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a video game. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I'm the type of gamer who does not, I am not a pre-order. I am not a person who buys games when they first come out because they're usually broken. And I like playing them after they come out and all the bugs are fixed and things like that. And, 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 and prices also drop considerably. Um, but anyway, I started a game that was a very hot game last year on the PlayStation platform. It's called Ghost of Tsushima. And it is an open world game that takes place in, in feudal Japan, 13th century Japan. And you are, a, you are a samurai who survives a big attack and the Mongols are invading. And it's, it's like an open world game, like a, like an Assassin's Creed or, or, or a Far Cry or whatever. But you are a samurai and it is just lovely. And I had no idea. I, I took a chance because I heard a couple of good things about it. First of all, it looks great. It looks great. Even better if you have a, a TV with HDR capabilities. But I always know a game, an open world game is good if I can play for two hours and not get anywhere. And and, and yeah. that's a, I say that as a good thing. Like So you spend two hours like, well, and I found us hot springs and I found a shrine and I followed a fox for a while who led me to something. And then there was this golden bird. I and I got nowhere in the story. But I had a wonderful time. And, and um, I'm I'm. I don't know, probably 25% of the way through it, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I can tell this is, this one's going to last. Um, and it's, it's just an excellent game. And, and I, I know you play some games, certainly play Animal Crossing. Yeah, I do. Uh, I am more of a, uh, like, I sold my PlayStation 4. I had a PlayStation 4 at one time because I, some games, but they've all gotten too complicated. I'm that old man now. Like, I'm much more a Switch. That's my level. Um, are you still playing Animal Crossing? I am still playing. Not uh, not every day like I was. Uh, you know, for a while it was like the it was to me it was like the greatest pandemic game. Oh, it was the got outside was, and talk right. to people. It was the official like, video game of the pandemic, no question about it. Because because it was like all those things you wish you could do um, that you couldn't. I can go out and I can talk to my friends. I can get on an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, I can. Well, I guess I could have fished before, but I'm not really fishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it, and it's the first video game my wife has ever played. Uh, like actually like gotten into, she had played like, you know, Frogger or whatever before. Um, but actually gotten into and played and see, I would, I would love, like, I can't, I can't even get into Zelda cause it's too complicated and it's beautiful. And I'll, yeah, it's a lot around. of fun. Yeah. And like, I would love, Ghost of Tsushima. I mean, that sounds like amazing to me. It's beautiful, um, yeah. I, 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 as you know, I lived in Japan. Yeah. Um, I studied Japanese history in college. I have a history minor, and most of that was just because I took a lot of Japanese history classes for fun. Um, so I took a class called Japan and the Samurai, and um, our paper that was worth 100% of our grade for that quarter, I wrote about baseball. Um <laughs> Got an A. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, that sounds right up my alley, but I just can't. I'm just not I, ready I, for it. 
I it just it's not uh, it's not something I can do. It's like something it's like aspirational. I would love to play that game, but I never will, and it would be a waste of my time, money, and um, all the uh, all that other stuff. It sounds sure. great. Uh, so, what do you got? So, again, I mean, this is still pandemic related um, of sort. I've really I like the thirty minute sitcom format. Mm-hmm. I just like I don't it's easy. I don't want anything too heavy. It's yeah. easy. It makes me feel better. I've really, as I've gotten older, I've gotten away from things that like entertainment things that don't make me happy. I still like to think and yeah, I still sure. like to feel and all that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I ultimately, it. I need escapes yep. and I need things that can happy. So I was debating on which one to go on this. Um, I've been watching Superstore lately. Okay. Super- it was I, I know what it is, but I've never seen it. It's actually great. It's like people at um, like basically like a store. Target, Walmart, big, big box store. And it's the group of people that work there. And you get in, like for a workplace comedy that's funny, they get into things like, you know, treatment of workers and mm. unionization and, um, you know, class and wow health care yeah. um a lot of these things and they do it funny but they it's also there it's like i don't know it's it's a really kind of fun um it's not gonna beat you over the head with any of those things um you know there's a diverse class of just people who live in without again beating you over the head with it um it's just uh it's just a fun fun show so i dig it nice so superstore it's on hulu um you can go back and there i think there are five seasons they just wrapped up uh this past year i'm somewhere in like season three or four right now so i mm-hmm. haven't gotten to the finale but i was told it was very good I will, I will likely have a hulu recommendation next week it is a a british series i'm not gonna say what it is but it's it's i think they do tv right in britain and they know how to end it well, and uh, that's the thing is I think we've seen that change over the last couple of years, and that's really improved American US television. TV yeah. that it, not everything is twenty two episodes. Yeah, this is one season and six episodes, and and we just did it's a it's like it's a sitcom. It's half an hour, and it's like we did two episodes last night. It might be really good. We'll see. Um, um, yeah, so I, I love that they just end stuff, and it's like, oh, I've told that story. I can yeah. move on. Perfect. Like, um, I think Mayor of Easttown, I really enjoyed, but yeah, it was I don't really need good. another season. No, I do. No, I, I don't, think they wrapped I don't it need up it. perfectly. Yes, I agree. We don't need more. Um, I did just finish uh, David Roth's episode one recommendation of Lodge 49. Oh, yeah. I've wanted to watch that. I finished it last night, and it's so good, and I'm so kind of pissed that it's got canceled and there's not going to be more. Well, and that's like... Um, Kim's Convenience. Do you know yeah. Kim's Convenience? Uh, I know of it. I haven't really watched it though. I, and so that was my it's other been one. Recommended was, to me a couple of times. I was doing either Superstore or my like Canadian Triumphant uh, or Tri or Triforce or Try Something mm-hmm. of uh, sitcoms in um, Kim's Convenience, Shit's Creek, of course, and which I didn't get into until like the I think it took me to the third season. And we, I like, we oh, I love this. Yeah, we didn't get into it until the pandemic. Well, and like, yeah, and like, I didn't get into it the pandemic, but I like watched and everybody's like, it's great. And I was like, I went through the first two seasons. And I'm like, I don't get it. And then I got in the third season. I was like, I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Letterkenny. And I enjoy Letterkenny as well. So the, the Superstore and then the, the, the three Canadian shows, Schitt's Creek, Kim's Convenience, and Letterkenny. And Schitt's Creek, or uh, Kim's Convenience final season went up on Netflix last night. And they okay. were one that was canceled and wasn't allowed to end on their own. Right. 
timetable, which is a shame that even Justin Trudeau tweeted about. Okay. Yeah. Because he doesn't have better things to worry about. No. Um, I think we're done here. I, awesome. I can't thank you enough for, for A, agreeing to co-host and B, uh, being so so kind of honest and open and candid about some of the, the issues going on in media. Yeah, I'm flattered that you asked me. I was uh, I was pretty excited to do it because I do, even though I made a joke earlier that I wouldn't listen, I do listen and love the show. And I mean, how you got Steve Albini doing your freaking, <laughs> like, seriously, like, of all the cool things you've done. Where does that rank? Because that's really, really fucking hot. cool. I just I, there's a text. I just got a text from from them sometime during the show. I haven't read yet. Um, with Steve and and Tim Midget from Silkworm, it's mostly baseball. And then you know what's going on with us. And I told him turn the podcast again. And I didn't say anything. I just said yeah, I'm turning the podcast again. And and Steve just said we're going to record a theme song that's going to rock your fucking socks off. And I went okay. And um, little known fact, maybe I'll play up some. But they sent me three tracks. I have three really? very, I have three very different songs. I have like a more of a one with a I can only say a Ronnie James Dio kind of. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I do have secret underground tracks from the recording session. Cool. Um, that's but yeah, it's way that's up really there for cool. me. It was a real thrill. It was I I I I laughed so hard I cried when they first sent them to me. We we have basic like weirdness about like your life that you sometimes go like oh i actually like know yeah. this person yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. and it's just kind of weird like oh there you are you know nope. it's unbelievable so uh, if people want to follow you on twitter they just go they follow they follow you at c trent yeah that's how early i was on i was able to get that quick so you are c trent you can read uh see trent stuff over at the athletic and uh thanks again for doing this with me yeah anytime i appreciate it and uh keep on doing it because i keep listening i'm glad to have one and uh thanks for listening everyone and we will talk to you next week (laughs) 